This is Tancred, and you're listening to Aetherite Radio. Aetherite Radio? How exactly does that work? Someone get Fernholz in here. I need him to explain this to me. I need to know the law behind this. This is Fernholz. You spoony bard. And you're listening to Aetherite Radio. Please look forward to it. Hey, what up, Internet? This is not the, the professional uh, opening that Fusion always does, but I like to give things my own spin. Uh, hi, we're Aetherite Radio. It's Gamerscape's Final Fantasy XIV podcast. And you look like you really have something to say, Rook. No, I just, you know, I love this new spin you're doing for the intro. <laughs> I love, like, it feels very authoritative, but, like, in a really chill way. Like, hey, yeah. what up? Like, you're well, you're not really giving people, like, the opportunity to come in. You're just like, this podcast is happening to you now. What up? Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that. I kind of like that. I mean, it's like it's like a gentle reminder that you can't leave. You're here already. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hi, I'm Zanidra. Uh, I am here with my delightful friends, Aldino, Rook, and Anonymous. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Yeah. We also can't leave. Yeah, yeah. we're stuck here forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't cry. No, no. Not yet, anyway. Uh, oh, it's coming for me this episode. Uh, it's coming mm-hmm. for me. I was Ew. a mess last time. I thought maybe I'll have enough time to recover before we talk about Ultima Thule, but I think there's no amount of time that would have been enough. So uh, please look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, before we start with our lore cast doodly things today, we got a little, little teensy bit of news, but I know that we all really want to get to uh, various ultimate, Ultima Thule journeys. Speaking is hard. Uh, so we're just gonna, just gonna fast pace, put it away. Ah, there's gonna be some new piano arrangement orchestrian roles on the Mog Station. That's the Ink Long Dry, great Google library. I know everybody loves that one. Uh, and Heroes, which is the Thorded music. Do, 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 do. I had to look it up. I was like, which one is? Oh, okay, now that's a great one. <laughs> I think I would like every single one of these announcements with at least a few bars of the song hung by you from now on. <laughs> Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. <laughs> I've given myself this duty. Uh, uh, the other little bit of news is that Little Ladies Day is going to start soon, March 14th. Let's see, let's see, let's see. That's two days from uh, when we are broadcasting. So by yep, the time Monday. this is out, yeah, we'll probably be out as well. Um, it starts in Olda as usual. And you get a little crown, a little jaunty sideways crown. Uh, it's very cute, and it works on little ladies, big ladies, all sizes of men, and all races. All races, including Vera and Rothgar. Mm-hmm. Every beautiful person that wants to have a crown can have one. Mm-hmm. Also, they're really good. I actually do really like this item. It's very cute. It's very cute. I'm going to find something to put it on. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I used to have a uh, Queen of Hearts glamour for my white mage. Uh, I think that's going to sit right there. Definitely. <laughs> All right, and the other thing coming out on the same day, March 14th, is the Moogle Treasure Trove event will be back. Uh, this time it seems very dog-themed because we're going to get the Mamashiba earring, which is that, that cute little doggy, very cute. The uh, Tamamo headband, which is like the fox ears. Uh, and the Firewolf Fife, which is not the real name, but what it is, uh, to name a few. If you want to see the rest of the prizes and where you can get them and all that good stuff, check out that low stone. That's the news. So, here we go on to part four of our lore cast for Inwalker. 
Infinite lore cast. Yes. Infinite never ending. <laughs> Not end walker, just continually walking forever. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> a lore cast of this particular expansion. Um, so what I have here is Garlemald's like, the, for the third time, I don't know, but I don't remember if we talked about that much last time or if at all last time, so. We didn't, but so. then, I, then again, okay. this part is pretty inconsequential and yes. I don't know why it was there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, minus, minus, Alice tearing mm -hmm. Xenos a new mm -hmm. one, which was mm -hmm. satisfying. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Just a quick look through dish stuff. I mean, it was nice to see uh, Papa Olivier leading the Thavnir people. Like, oh, look, he does do good things. Oh, was nice it guy. nice? This yeah. made the worst decision. I'm sorry. I, I like <laughs> rambled about this far more than I think I should have when I was playing through this. Because okay, I was like, okay. what? I was like, what is this man doing? He's supposed to be one of the greatest like thinkers of his generation. He like theoretically in my mind, I mean, yes, would be wise enough that at the very least before bringing a bunch of vulnerable <laughs> refugees to a war zone in which we knew that it had been completely destroyed, like the tempering effect had been happening, like the entire place had been leveled and was now rife with danger. And he's like, I think I'll just like teleport a whole bunch of highly vulnerable people who aren't even used to cold climbs up here and then hope we can make it to a teleporter that we don't even know anything about i was like i don't know why this happened <laughs> I, I on one That's hand fair. Yeah, he I mean, did give them all good. coats yes it is good <laughs> as you said to see him i think paying attention to the rest of the world because i was kind of concerned that charlene was going to do this thing where they went like we're the only ones who deserve to be saved, you know? So mm -hmm. it's nice to see that they actually do seem to care about other places. And obviously it's a kind of desperate situation, but I thought this was the most harebrained choice. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, I don't understand why you did this. Of course it was going to be a disaster. <laughs> so my favorite part of this is uh, they do sort of like the uh, a takeaway from the scene in the opening trailer with Alice and the Warrior of Light, where she's like, I could take care of myself, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But this time, instead of the Warrior of Light, is Mr. Grahatia being all badass and adorable and stuff. And I just, I love the dynamic between those two. So anytime they do anything together, I'm like, yay, they're my favorite buddy cop duo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was cool to see that part of the trailer, but in a way we weren't expecting. Yeah. You know, everybody is like, wait a second. Hold on. That's, is this, it's happening. Wait, that's not normal. It's also really cute because it's kind of like, is Grahatia gonna, like, pick up in our footsteps to be the next Warrior of Light and stuff? I don't know. That's just, that's just me being a little fangirl over here, I guess. No, I mean, I like that Graha got to have, I think, moments where he could step into his own as whatever he wants to be in the future, right? Like, he's had to be the leader of a, a nation of sorts. He's, you know, been the wayward, uh, you know, like, student and, you know, researcher who was trying to find his place like he has looked up to us as a hero so it is nice to see him i think kind of reconciling all those different facets of himself this expansion and then getting to decide who he wants to be and how he wants to act without like a lot of other pressures and you know yeah i mean it's obviously a high pressure situation but like <laughs> not with him having to be on a different world leading like you know a group of people and civilians and being a stand-in adoptive grandfather <laughs> right. this is what he does on his holiday Somebody's added a note here to this. You want to talk about it or? 
You mustn't, mustn't let our sword in the darkness fight alone. Okay. All right. <laughs> Apparently, that just appeared on the document. Yeah. <laughs> Alize, Alize herself busted up into our outline and was like, this yeah. is my most important thing. I just need mm -hmm. you to mention it during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's my turn. Yep. It's my turn. That's damn good. <laughs> I know. All right. Uh, and then the other thing I really liked about this portion was just how mad Euless gets mm. at Xenos. Yes. He's mm. like, you're the motherfucker who fucked up my whole country, my whole life, just to fight with this guy here? What is wrong with you? <laughs> and that's when uh, Xenos gets his new title, which I do not remember. Uh, Viator? Yes. Yeah, Traveler. Which is weird. Really? Mm. Yeah, it is. I thought traveler. it was Trader, but I didn't look it up, so. Yeah, if I remember correctly, let me let me check that again because it's been a while. Trader or Traveler? There's a subtle difference, but both have I mean, significant meaning. Now, Xenos in Greek means friend and enemy. So, but with an X. So it's literally frenemy. Like, not not kidding. <laughs> I never looked that up. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I mean, that doesn't <laughs> it's I mean, it does feel Very like on the nose. <laughs> it does feel like um, this scene with Xenos didn't need to happen, as far as Xenos and Ulysses, right? Like, yeah, it's so it is so interesting to me to see him have to confront the people that he just treated as fodder, and you know, was supposed to be an icon for, and the epitome of of. Uh, this, you know, a royalty that had ruled over them. And and of course, he himself didn't want to live up to that. But to be confronted by the people that he had so wronged, I honestly thought there was like a chance here that they might kill him, like that they might tear him to shreds or something. And that would be like poetic justice that, you know, for all that he had considered us to be his only actual, you know, uh, uh, equivalent or only actual challenge that he might find out that like with what he had done to disregard others so greatly that even they through numbers could destroy him and I kind of still wish that it happened yeah. to be honest like I kind of wish his own people mm -hmm. had you know been able to turn against this symbol of the regime that they had been brainwashed under for so long like but I mean it is still really good to see him actually confronted and he was gets a great moment at the same right. time though like they, the Garleans, what what of them there are, basically show up to save the Thavnerians, right? I feel like taking them from that, that high position where they've turned around and they're accepting the alliance and they're willing to fight for it now. And then being like, also, beat up your old king who screwed you over. Would, like, <laughs> take away from that somehow. So I'm kind of glad it didn't happen. Although, mm -hmm. like... I guess from a literary standpoint, I'm glad it didn't happen. But from a I wish Xenos would go away standpoint, I really wish <laughs> that it did happen. <laughs> right. Uh, and it uh, does look like uh, Viator does mean traveler. You're right. Yes, in Latin, yeah. Thank you, chat. Yep. And I I think I understand that in a little bit. Like, mm. we were just talking a second ago about why that was weird. But, like, I think... I think the meaning of it being like someone who wanders away from their purpose, wanders away from their capital is also mm -hmm. one thing. But I think it's more that Xenos is supposed to be the warrior of light's foil, their mirror. So if now now we're both travelers in a way, mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably what they were going yeah. for. Trying oh, to steal yeah. my motif here, Xenos, <laughs> get out. Well, what's is, is Xenos friend or is Xenos enemy? It's friend uh, of me. 
Yeah, well, like it's... the which word is which? Uh, what do you mean? Well, oh, is, Xenos, is Xenos the X. word Xenos is both? Yes, in okay. Greek. In right. Greek, I thought you were saying uh, one. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I thought you were yeah, saying stranger, one word was but... friend and one was enemy, and I was like, no. if the first one's enemy and the last one's friend. His name is literally enemy that travels to friendship, right? I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, very just... on the nose. Xenos yeah. or Xenoite, they're just strangers, gotcha. honored guests, enemies. It's weird. I don't know why. It's where xenophobia came from. Oh, that's interesting. I I mean, the thing is, is that they have worked into the expansion so many details that do set up that parallel. And yet, I it's so tough for me. Xenos really, I think, is one of the most contentious points of this whole expansion for me, which I'm sure many of you have gotten the impression from as we've talked. But like, for all the ways that they set him up, it's just so difficult for me because I, I just, I have so many problems still actually seeing him as that parallel i guess you know yeah. what i mean it's it's very strange i mean even you could say okay well if we are the epitome of like becoming a beacon to people and and lifting them up and connecting with people and you know strengthening ties then xenos is the one who like breaks things apart and is like the dark side of that and yes it's there because like we talked about he was supposed to be this kind of icon to his people based off of his lineage and legacy and yet, he's not really cast ever in that way. His father is with the you know entire um, zone and the the summoning and the faith of the people and the radio and the music that plays. Um, his father was kind of built up in this way, but he wasn't. Um, and th- even the stuff that happened to his people to undermine them and destroy them was largely, it seems like, headed up by Fan Daniel. So like. It's so strange to me because I do find that I love these little details that you can find with him in regards to like how they build him up. And yeah, mm-hmm. I don't always know if I actually feel like the narrative follows through completely in those. Okay, in the way 100 he is. A thousand percent. 102, 1000%. I don't even take it very deep. Like I just take it as that very basic mirror of answering that question. What do we do with our strength? And we have Mm -hmm. two incredibly strong people doing very different things with them. And like you said, like one brings people together and one drives wedges between people and hurts people. And I think it's just that that selfless, selfish binary. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just what do we do with our strength? I I think it's also and we'll talk about it later when we get to the end but there's a there's a distinct thing lacking uh in xenos's life that we have in just huge amounts in ours uh as the warrior flight and it's uh one of the big themes in this storyline as well so poor xenos Xenos talk till then Yeah. yeah sounds good sounds good all right uh i think the last big thing quote unquote big thing that happens there is uh we see a Loperit zombie, a.k.a. Pudding Way, show up. Uh, very upset that they have yet to find any pudding. Uh, but this also <laughs> brings uh, Urianjay's uh, return along with some other Loperits who were like, Hey, so you're not on the moon yet. We thought maybe there was an issue and we decided to come down and help you out. Also, they just want to see the planet because they've spent their entire very, very, very long lives working towards helping the people on it and they heard it was pretty so just want to look at it before it was gone i do love 
them experiencing and like being on the planet. And I can't wait to see maybe even more of what we get with that mm -hmm. if they continue to kind of flesh them out because they have their entire existence has revolved around this one thing. And <laughs> to actually go there after the way that you see that they have misinterpreted it in so many ways, I think does open the door to a lot of fun little comedic moments and, you know, little things like that where it also kind of makes you appreciate the world differently as well and how you might even like look at the surroundings around you because you realize how novel they are to another entity in the game. Mm -hmm. I need them to be the crafting quests like really bad. Like, oh, please. I need I need the crafting quests for this to be like them putting all of the knowledge they just got to work and redoing all of their plans. And then I get to read all of the glorious item descriptions on the lemon muffins and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I just, I need it. I need yeah. It. I just got a Windows update uh, message and it scared the bums out of me, but I told it to snooze off, so we should be good. <laughs> Everything <laughs> should be crossed. fine. Yeah. I was like, not again, not again. <laughs> All right. So uh, after that, we head back to Charlene and Labyrinthos. For the um, most beloved part of the entire expansion. God. Well, okay. There is a part that is the most beloved. Yes. yes. Uh, and they, they do the, the big confirmation that we all already knew. Charlene's been preparing to move people to the moon all this time. With their, their arc that they told us about in, like, the very first thing we did in this expansion. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Could it be there? They're building an arc. They're making me look at all these books about arcs. Yes. Yes, they are. You know, history rhymes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I do I do like that full circle moment with Charlie. And I mean, mm -hmm. yes, this was like, it was hammered in a little too much. I think many of us reached the conclusion of what was happening with them a whole lot earlier, but I do love the idea that like, you know, Charlene and Nuncraft uh, you know, originally, like, they originated because they created this arc and went out to save those who'd been affected by calamity and then saw how the world was and founded their own nation. And so to have that kind of, like, symbolic return to building an arc is a fun thing uh, just to see here for them and for Charlie yeah. and for space travel in the future of the game, which is now mm -hmm. a huge thing. I think uh, when I was... Okay like getting ready for this and watching all the trailers and trying to figure out what was coming. I think a lot of the hints were leaning towards Charlayon. Like for me, I was interpreting them um, as Charlayon getting ready to kind of learn from history and just clam up deep underground and wait for this all to pass because that's, you know, if you look at all of history, that's what you do. That's mm -hmm. the only thing that would get you through a calamity. So I was very worried about that because it was so in line with kind of the way they were thinking before. And I thought the way they were thinking before was stupid. So I'm glad that we're, <laughs> we're doing this because like you said, it doesn't rhyme with where they came from. And for a whole like city of philosophers to not realize that if you're part of a system, doing nothing affects history as much as doing something. Mm -hmm. Inaction is a choice. Inaction has consequences. And the fact that they didn't stick to that in the end, I think was very redemptive for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I exactly. was- I don't know how that they, I didn't understand how they would be able to cast them in that light and then like still have us all be chill with like having it be one of our major new city hubs and like this whole play, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And yet it really did seem like they were gonna lean into that 
you know, since the original attempt that we made to help, we learned that the world is full of badness and everyone except for us is bad. And like all this stuff where they would mm -hmm. then decide that their people were the people that should be saved for the future. And it's funny because on one hand, I do think, oh, it would have, it would have been interesting in a sense, but like you said, Moose, it would have also been the most infuriating thing for like a nation of learned people where you're just like, you have all the resources at your disposal and you should know better than that. <laughs> like, so I'm glad they didn't go that full route um, because it, it does also, I think, just make Charlene feel like they have a place alongside everybody in a way that isn't just awful and has a lot of really bad moral repercussions. Mm -hmm. They do right. um, have a, there's a taste of it. They're like, all right, so first we're going to send all the stuff up. Then we're going to send all of us up and then we're going to come back and get everybody else. So there's all kinds of of it just a little bit a little bit but but also there's the um but we're coming back don't worry we're gonna get the rest of you too we just get to <laughs> we go promised first. there's only so much room on the spaceship uh this does bring up sort of one of the questions we had on our top 10 questions we want and walker to answer which was question number four uh how much does fortune and the forum know do fortune and the forum know about the ancients um so they, they knew about what was prophesied to happen by somebody who was at some point an ancient, but not anymore. And also when he first sees the Loperitz, uh, he seems quite surprised that they're tiny bunny people. So I'm kind of thinking not very much, not very much at all. They were pen pals, it seems, you know. Yeah. That was one of the, the parts of the story that I kind of like noticed little conceits along the way. Because I was just like, think about how much of this story hinges on Fortuna not knowing that they're little bunnies. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Think about how much changes if he knows they're tiny bunnies. That he, This is who he's been communicating <laughs> with for 200 years is like putting way. It's, it is so funny because you, like we see through the Loperets that they do have knowledge, right? Like they are obviously imbued with knowledge. They understand creation magics. They understand many things. They have a view of society that is obviously like determined in many ways by what they kind of know of the ancients, even like the scaling of the, you know, entire facility on the moon and things like that. Um, and yet they're trying to learn what these new people are. So yeah, I mean, this was a big one. I mean, a lot of you know, I was pushing for the Nautilus theory. I was pushing for it, which is just that- I you was know, rooting for you too. Thank you, thank you, Moose. And it's like, I was allowing some room there where I was going, you know, I am almost positive that they did talk to Heidelin or at least got close to it in um, the hinterlands and everything there, which did end up being true. But again, like how much their society had been affected by the knowledge they got there, or if they themselves had just like, followed the course of like ethereal studies and things like that to the point that they were making discoveries that were similar to you know what the ancients had discovered prior i didn't know where that line was going to be like how much of this had been really strongly dictated because there are some very clear parallels between those two societies and how much was just that like they were evolving in a similar way but different obviously because of the expanse of time so it's kind of interesting here because i definitely do think that it leans more now towards the like you said they probably got some things and some advancements, but I don't think they got all that much. Um, it does seem more like they were so focused on specifically probably the prophecy itself, what that meant for the world, and anything that could specifically further their cause in like developing this technology that they needed or getting people up there. 
so uh yeah i mean it's it's curious i i like it because i do think that it's still those parallels are still there in a sense but it is not as like heavy-handed where you know like all of what we are was determined by them or something you know like right. i like that they have just kind of evolved in a similar vein to some degree but also have their own distinctive society um, but I'm a little bit sad that the super tinfoil hat angle didn't quite mm -hmm. It's okay. It's, yeah, I can still adapt and change it. At least they talked to your favorite mama. They did. Oh, they, they did. did. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> so, um, let's see. They are asked if... We already basically said this. They, they're asked if they have room and have accounted for all peoples and tribes. And they're basically like, kind of, sort of, tried to. Yeah. And then Kryle also points out that their arc is not finished and they're kind of running out of time. Uh, so Alphano just barges right in and suggests uh, that if they can find a solution to make the arc more efficient, um, maybe the forum lets them meet with Hyland for whatever reason. You know, they just they would also like to talk to Mama for things, uh, and they should listen to, but not necessarily do. Uh, a suggestion for another purpose for the arc, which we don't necessarily know yet, but kind of know yet already. Right. <laughs> they very They're likely, like, hey. yeah. Go ahead. They're like, hey, if we get this done, can we just can we just borrow it just for, for a moment? We need need Take to, it for a we test need drive. To, we need to go to space someplace else, <laughs> someplace difficult. So yeah, we uh, we fix the afterburner problem by having friends. Uh, okay, that friendship. is, yeah, yeah. sorry. Yep, it's friendship. Um, we're like, hey, Ugh. guys, we need um, Ragnarok class internment Hulk doohickeys for the refined adamantite in there. Mm -hmm. And we can't really go and get it ourselves because it's a little bit of a journey and we're doing other stuff right now. Could you just like bring that here? And every single person we've ever met says yes. <laughs> and they were like, oh, okay, so you're willing to? And maybe we could also get some Far Eastern sacred relics, too, for, like, Aether purposes. And they're like, yeah, got you. We don't have any of that uh, adamantite stuff over here, so we'll just bring you some relics. No big deal. Um, that, I'll, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Is that, is that like, the, the new equivalent of power scaling? We've helped people so much that now, like, they're ready for coil? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. That's true. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> I uh, loved this. I actually adored this scene. I mean, especially mm -hmm. too, because like you watch for Cheneau, like watch his kids as they are like making in these calls. Mm -hmm. And then like, as like the people come into the docks and like for the first time in a long time, I mean, Charlene has to open its doors whether it wants to or not. Like they have to, like you can't put them all through every process and people show up and they are so excited and eager to help. And like for a nation that has been trying to do this by themselves, that has been trying to, I mean, almost dictate the future of the world by themselves, even though they agreed to include the world in it eventually, to see that moment where I think they're confronted with, oh, like if we had extended this level of camaraderie, we always thought that like being so free and so liberal to try and like forge these bonds would be something that really would be to our detriment. Um, but in reality, we can see here that it's become one of the greatest strengths. And like the way they framed that whole scene and the cutscene itself, I was like, this is such a great and efficient, like not efficient, but it just communicates so much the way the way it is and how they kind of portray it. And then it also like leads into, I think, a lot of the change of heart that we see with Fortuno. 
Mm -hmm. I I loved it because it was you know getting the gang together, calling in all the favors. Mm -hmm. It like, and I know why they did it, but like this, and then after the dungeon, like it was just pushing right on the edge of it's a little too corny, but I'll be okay. That's <laughs> fine. It was a little too like saccharine sweet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we need it. We need it after. <laughs> And before what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, in the moment, I was like, oh, okay. All right, well, I got to get through this. I feel like I'm going to come back to this with with Xenos at the end. Mm -hmm. Just like this very big theme. But like, yeah, I think in the final chapter of a story that has the themes 14 does, it's important to show everybody that you've brought together doing something together. The whole world is coming together to stop something. And there are only so many ways to do that that aren't corny. So like I was prepared for this part from the get go because like when we started the game, it was like, by the way, the biggest threat to the universe is hopelessness. Mm -hmm. And now I'm sitting here like, oh, they've been calling me Hope Incarnate for 10 years. Like this is just <laughs> this is right. It's on the nose. Like, wow, can't believe it. We've we've been the the hope of Eorzea for 10 years. And now we find out the biggest threat to the universe is hopelessness. It all comes even, to this. Yeah. So, yeah, even I was in, prepared for corny. Yeah, mm -hmm. Even in uh, Shadowbringers, we get a taste of that with, you know, yeah. dying and the whole world being like, you know what? I give up, except maybe we could save the Warrior of Light. That'd be good, right? Let's do that. And then suddenly they have hope again, even though we're mm -hmm. dead. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. We we skipped ahead sort of a little bit to when the uh, the yeah. afterburner stuff arrives, but if we back it up just a little bit, um, we're gonna talk about how Urian J made us cry, or at least me. Yes, <laughs> uh, this is the the moment in Labyrinthos where um, he's finally confronted with Moonrita's parents. Uh, we learn that upon her death, he just sent them a letter about it because um, he couldn't really force them or face them himself. And I guess they knew him so well. Uh, they even mentioned that the letter's written in a shaky hand. They, they, the thing that they were saddest about uh, when he didn't come to them was that they couldn't support him in his time of loss as well. And I'm just like, this is how people should be. This is how people should be when people die. This is right. And I'm just like, <sighs> I'm so I'm so glad to see that for him. This, this poor little little wimpy alone boy whose very first friend got terribly murdered. <laughs> it's really rare in games, I think, that you see honest depictions of grief, if that makes sense. Like a lot of times we have characters that die. And then there's like a vigil for them and people are like so sad fantasy hero died and the people wail and cry and like it is sad and you do feel very emotional but um and i'm gonna get a little personal here because <laughs> I, I i talk about this pretty openly when we talk about mental health um but what you actually experience in the wake of grief are like these weird vignettes of moments that are very hard to explain um i lost my dad a handful of years ago and my partner um lost their brother growing up and one of the ways that we bonded originally was just talking about grief and it's something that so many spaces and games just don't want to talk about because people don't know how to talk about it and a lot of times people feel really awkward and yet it doesn't change the fact that that loss exists and you have all these tiny moments from you know people sending far too many 
peace lilies to your house and like the scent just reeks to bringing you so much food that you can't shut the door of the fridge. Um, those were some of the experiences my partner had to things like uh, having to call, you know, anybody who knew them, having to go through these lists or field calls from people just nonstop. And it's such a weird thing. Um, and when my dad passed really unexpectedly, I remember I called a friend of mine who had also lost someone, um, her mother, just a few years before. And I said to her, like, how do you do this? How do you navigate this? Um, how? Because I had never heard anyone talk about it. Um, and I had no idea how you deal with the emotions that you deal with in the wake of something like this. And she said to me at the time, there's no right or wrong way. All you can do is feel what you feel. And you have to give yourself the time to feel it as long as you have to and in whatever way. And some of it's going to be positive and some of it's going to be negative. And that doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a terrible, selfish person. If you have anger, it doesn't make you, you know, they talk about the stages of grief, but it's this weird big tangle of things, you know? And of course, seeking help, talking to people, that's crucial. Um, but this moment really got me because, you know, Orianje in the wake of losing Mumbrita, I think confronted that same question. How do you deal with this? And for him, you know, he was like, I can send this letter and I don't know what else to do. And I'm scared of confronting it. And I'm scared of confronting her parents. Um, sorry, it's just, it's very like, it's such a raw moment. And I think mm. that's why it hit so many people in such a very poignant way, because he has lived with this fear of what he thinks it will be. And he was processing in his own way. And then he meets them and he realizes what I thought this whole time was wrong, you know, but it doesn't invalidate what I needed to do. And they're not invalidating the way I responded to it. And we are all together going to now navigate this together and answer that question. How do we deal with this? Um, and it was just incredibly striking. Like, I hated all the quest around this moment. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, was like, I was so angry. I was like, this is such a waste of time. It's totally ruining the momentum. And then we got this moment. And I just, again, it was one of those points where I sobbed like a baby because mm -hmm. when they embrace each other, it's, again, it's like, it's a weird thing to see in a game. And yet it's a part, it's a thing many of us have experienced or will experience. And um, I thought it was just an incredibly just nuanced depiction of it in a way that I haven't seen in many games. So. They really bring it out in, we, we, we keep talking about how far they've come with the way the characters emote in this game. And just seeing him shake when she hugs him was so amazing. Ugh. I had to watch this cutscene twice because I DC'd in the middle of it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember which you was, saying that. Which was awful. I'm like, face sopping wet from tears just like <laughs> disconnected <laughs> uh, it was so bad and of course at the time because it was in like the first two or three days i had to wait an hour and a half to get back in to see the rest of that cussing which you know made me cry just as much the second time <laughs> yeah. it's like uh, at that point you're just crying for a lot of reasons yep so many reasons yeah, I'm like, why would you take this away from me, internet? That was the only time I DC'd the entire time that I was playing. Uh, I was very fortunate. <laughs> very, very fortunate. Uh, I, yeah, it was, I usually... Go ahead. Okay, sorry. 
No, it's good. I usually I usually get sentimental on replays rather than first plays. Like first plays, I'm just kind of taking it all in, and then the second time is when I've I've got all the meaning around it. I'm I'm in my feels. Like so, I usually get sentimental later. This was one of the two or three scenes in the game that I I really got into in the moment that it was happening, um, and I think for me part of the the like the drive for that was i was there when he first showed up in 1.18 1.19 that like first you know rise of the seventh umbral arrow when he was like a gm um and his whole role in that part of the story was that he's super awkward because he's spent more times with old books than modern people to the point that like People don't get him. He doesn't get people. And you're, you suspect him for a little while until you learn that he's an ally. And then they play this again. For anybody who wasn't there in 1.0, they do this again in you know 3.0, 3.1, 3.4. make you doubt him and realize that he just he thinks differently than most and doesn't understand people very well. So I love that they were able to hark back to that here where even in this uh he doesn't realize that people see the good in him and that people aren't you know only focusing on these negatives and that he has a home and that even if he doesn't get people that they get him sometimes and it's just like he is one of the best of us even when we don't see it that way and i thought that they were able to like make that point while going through these powerful moments and remembering a character that we lost too soon and just i i thought it was all very very good the way they tied it together it was so I, good. I oh go ahead Zed. i've been uh one of the people I don't know. There's probably others, but <laughs> a lot of people are very sad. Moonbreda died. Oh, she she would have been such a good character. Yeah, she could have been a very good character, but they threw her in to kill her, and I always thought that was really cheap. Um, I don't want to phrase it this way, but I'm I'm glad they put her in to kill her now because it it gave us this. It gave it gave him such an amazing arc, and it it gave us this such a sweet, bittersweet, beautiful scene with him and her family it feels like it was them making something of that right yeah. and like mm -hmm. i can't help Salvage, but wonder yeah. too yeah. yeah because like ishikawa as well i think as a writer again like she has such a tenderness towards characters and like the way that she depicts them and obviously i think a lot of people have felt that way like you said you threw her into killer and it was like it's extra hard when look getting good powerful strong amazing femrus in the main lineup of this cast is so incredibly difficult for us uh keep them before it. they turn into a villain or die <laughs> so like it's just like i i really love that they did decide i think to give her the credit she was due in a sense yes. in that like the beat and the and the impact she could have had you know they went okay well let's acknowledge that and gosh moose i'm so glad you brought up Orianje's journey as a character because for me you're right like his history in this game all the way back to when he was introduced to what they then reiterated at the start of this game um even the stuff that we get with the Loprates where he's talking about how other people perceive him and that they believe that he is a certain type of person because of his personality but who he actually is is very different and he's like been forced to confront like do I do what they think of me or do I be myself and how do I be myself with others and the fact that with the way they build Moonbrita up with all of this, to be somebody who encouraged him to share who he was, 
his genuine self, to put himself out there, to keep trying, to recognize that he could have friends, he could be somebody that, you know, would be valued for who he was. And that like moment in this scene where I don't, he says something, I don't remember what the exact line is, but he says something to like her mother about, you know, she was always the person that was so good with people and who, you know, saw people and, and, you know, connected with them. And I've just been trying to do what I can. And then her mother says, well, look around you. And you look at all the people that like he's brought together in that like area. I, I found that to just be again, another like huge component of this scene, not only in just wrapping up his character in like a full circle kind of way, but also I think as a reminder for many of us that like, there are many times we may not be the kind of person, or there's many people I know who may not be the kind of people that feel like they are always perceived as the person they are. And it, we're all perceived in different ways, right? Like who we are inside, nobody's gonna get at a glance unless we figure out how to share it with them. And it's easier or harder for some people. And like, I just loved seeing Orianja get that beat where you realize that thanks not only to the legacy of somebody that he loved who encouraged him to grow, but also his own willingness to grow he actually did find a way to be himself and for other people to see and love that. And it's like, maybe it sounds a little corny and cheesy when you summarize it like that, but I think it's such an important lesson for so many of us when we get worried about sharing who we are with others, so. I don't care if it sounds corny, I love it and I love the character and I have the whole time and I'm just so glad he got such a good arc. Right. <sighs> I'm, I'm with you, I think it was partly damage control. Because, <laughs> like you said, Moonbrito is someone who could have offered a lot to the cast, like the dynamic that they have, and characters like her, like her do not come often. And I had to just sit there and make up my own excuse for why this happened. So I had to just like, like you said, you're you're bitter that they just threw her in to kill her, and I had to like to not be mad at that i'm like well maybe the point isn't that we were supposed to get attached to her but that it's character development for the rest of the scions because they lost a friend and now we're like building out their characters and we observe their grief and i'm like now i'm just sitting here like nah, it's damage control that was just it was just a mistake <laughs> to kill her what what were they doing um i i, I'm gonna, I do agree can I, yeah, Can I throw ahead. in one thing for chat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah. like, kind of like digressing a little bit, but um, as we're talking about Moonbreed, I'm noticing in chat there's a there's a couple references to Papa Limo <laughs> in here, and mm -hmm. I want to say that they they do remember him, and they do give him a little more context, and they do it's it's not much, it's a little offering, but if you don't do your side quests. Please go back to Charleon and look for a quest called Sandwiches and Pretzels. It's very yes. sad. <laughs> it is very sad. I mean, I won't lie. I'm kind of surprised they didn't do that in the main quest mm -hmm. itself, mm -hmm. especially because it's okay. It's so funny because those, those are the two running big character. Yes. It's like Moonbrita very much felt like a device they just threw in to kill. Although... I'm super happy, Moose, that they did eventually give her the context that you were reading in from the start. Because, like, right. that does have impact. And now we see it, even if I don't think they always really, really fleshed it out that way leading up to this point. Like, they did nail it there. But then, like, Papalimo is such a huge thing. Like this huge character that dies in this incredibly dramatic moment and like Shinryu and everything around that, even to this expansion would still have repercussions. And yes, there are like, there is great stuff to find with that. But it was very funny to me that like, 
I, I, I mean, I'm glad they chose Moonbrita, I guess. I don't know what you all think. But at the same time, I'm like, I feel as though we could have almost at some point have worked in beats for both of these characters within the main narrative mm -hmm. somewhere. Well, the thing, I think Maybe. the thing here is uh, we only got Moonbrita in the context of Uriange. And the person who was most importantly attached to Papalimo is not in the Scions anymore. Yes, I was just about to go in yeah. the same direction. Mm -hmm. Was was um, Ida and Papalima were a pair, and when they retconned Ida into Lise, and you know, because I mean, they did a great job with it. But again, Stormblood is our growing pains expansion. There's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff in there that, even if it's good, you can tell it. There's just something awkward about it as they're trying to pull all those plot hooks that they didn't have an exit strategy for together into one story that they can give a satisfying conclusion to like there's just an awkward feeling to Stormblood even if I love it um, <laughs> and I think that when you retcon half of a team and then you have to give an emotional end to the other half of the team <laughs> right. it feels like it kind of comes out of nowhere that it's not attached to anything and then even now like if you want to go back and reference Papalimo Lise isn't here. Mm -hmm. Lise is off in Alamigo still. So like, yeah, like you were saying, there's a certain balance there to doing right by the team. And I think that in the end, both Ida and Papalimo, the real Ida, like Ida and Papalimo did both get shafted a little bit yeah. in the run up to creating Lise and giving Stormblood what it needed to be what we needed it to be to get to Shadowbringers. And it just, I think it just is what it is. We had, they, they were a sacrifice. And I think we can, again, like we could do damage control with that someday. Yeah. Maybe. I was going to mm -hmm. say, the story's not over yet. They better go yeah. with something it's about not... I would love to learn more about them. Like the whole switching Eda to Lee's thing, mm -hmm. minor annoyance in, in my opinion. They made it make sense. I didn't hate it, but I would like to know more about Ida and Papalimo and what they were doing because I would, I love Papalimo. He's one of my favorites. Like, go and believe I killed him. <laughs> well, especially too when they then went in and added in that short story with Fordola and right. OG Ida. And like yeah. if anybody hasn't read that, there was like a set of short stories that were released. And I was super on board with all of them, except for that one. And then I got to it and I was like, what do you hold on a second? Yeah. What do you mean Fordola knew the original Ida who was doing all this stuff in All Amigo and helping the refugee and somehow still turned out like she did, but was also really close to Ida. But also, like, there's this whole other facet of the lore surrounding Papalimo and Ida and their activities, like, outside of Scions that, like you said, I you said it perfectly, Moose, I don't need to harp on it. Like, really, I think, did get shafted in some of those growing pains. And so now we get, like, the little threads... Um, and it's fine because many other things took the focus that were very good. But those are like two very pivotal characters that have apparently a whole place in the story, mm -hmm. but that just hasn't necessarily been fully communicated to us in game in a way that is immersive. You know, it's very strange. It's very strange with those two. I forgot how salty I was about that short story. Yeah. <laughs> the the, the, day, the day it came out, like... Um, a couple of the short stories, the day they came out, I was like, oh, you're just tying together loose ends in salacious mm -hmm. ways. Like, these are <laughs> retcons. These are just... Yeah. So when oh. that came out, it was like, actually, it was Ida. I was like, oh, you... <laughs> it was the same... Like... It was the same thing with um, when 
when they went back and kind of did the same thing with the Serpent Reavers and and Merylvib, um, mm. it was like, by the way, they were tempered the whole time, and here's a new story about her dad. It was just kind of like, oh, come on. These are just like, you realized two years later you should have told the story different, and you're going back for it. Can I just say, this is, this is uh, we don't have to talk about it that much, but this is another thing in the expansion that I was surprised didn't get touched on that harkens back just a tiny bit. Um, the fact that we had the entire patch where we were going over back over to Merlvib and touching base with everything there, and the fact that, um, oh, what is his name? Mistbeard? Mistbeard? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, who we know has uh, eventually become her secondhand man. Um, but he, like, almost exclusively for a time, raided the waters of Thavnair in his, like, lore and history. And I thought for sure if they were taking us back to pirate town that somehow he was going to be playing some kind or something was going to come up with him in Thavnair that never did happen um I mean they do the best that they can with as many threads as they can in this uh sometimes they are little tiny things like Mistbeard where you know you Story's go oh not over oh no 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 no, no. <laughs> but like I, I but, need um, that I need that in the new world I need when we go to the new world, I need Pirates of the Caribbean. I need <laughs> I need the new Mistbeard. I need Roswin to get back in the game. I want I want Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> I would be so down. I'd be so down. Are you good? Uh are you good with your Yeah, I feel, no, I, I feel, feel feel pretty good. How's everybody else feel? You pretty good okay. pretty good? Okay. That okay. section? Yeah. Just making sure. We 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 side side lined you a little bit there. Wanted to make sure you were done. <laughs> no, I do. I guess the last thing would be that the idea, Moose, of you standing in front of the writing team and and just looking at them all and being like, "You salacious writers," is actually I think one of my favorite things that's happened on this cast today. And I'm it's just gonna good. hold on to that mental image. Mm -hmm. so. it's pretty good. All right. Uh, now that we've uh, we've cried a little bit about our our lost friends. We can hop back over to where our solo life friends show up and bring us shiny good stuffs. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed that this part varied based upon what parts of the story you've done. Uh, like uh, if you've done the Alexander um, raid tier, for example, the uh, Hori Boulder actually brings you stuff from the goblins, which I thought was cool. I actually entirely missed that the first time somehow. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of other things like that. Uh, at this point, Papa Forchno has to admit that they've totally held up their end of the bargain. Uh, and they almost gloss over that they're going to let them do exactly what they asked for. But the forum leader's like, you know, they did good, right? And he's like, yes, they did good, but also they're my children and I get to be emotional again. And that's <laughs> more tears. Mm -hmm. Was I really the story where he actually says I was wrong? Or was that? No, that's later. I don't think that he ever says he was wrong. He does say it. He does. He does. He like he apologizes. I know because I was I was fixated on like okay. the only way this man can redeem himself to his children is by saying and acknowledging that what he did was wrong. <laughs> and like and he does. Like I think it I want to say it's that scene or around that scene. Um and, I think and it's then, part of it, yeah. 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 It, and, yeah so yeah. so what what I've written down here is that um, he asks his children and if they're ready for the responsibility of working for every single life on the planet, because that's basically what they're asking to do. 
Um, and he has sort of, I think, um, a mirroring moment with them there because that's what he feels like he's been doing the whole time, except he also, as we've said before, got more into it when they were born. Like, I... Oh, there's a little, there's a part where he mentions their little hands holding his fingers and how he knew he had to do whatever he could to save them. And, oh, you, you finally get to see he's, he's been this very like stoic, almost angry looking mm-hmm. character the whole time. And they finally give him emotions in his face. You see, he really loves his children. You can't, you knew, you knew what you right. see it. If you go back to the first day he was in a cutscene, like I was ready for this moment then because yeah. as soon as I as soon as I heard his voice in the cutscene, I was like, <gasps> Anthony Howell! And that, <laughs> that guy, that guy has been in a few games that I've played. I'm really into horror, so I've played mm. mo- uh, uh, several of his games, especially I think the one that was just sticking out most to me in the moment was Vampire. And he can be just like the stone-cold, angry, unlikable badass and transition into like the softer, more caring, very emotional voice like that. Like he can merge them. So when I first heard him at like as Fortuna, I was like, there's you wouldn't hire him if you weren't gonna do that scene. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, <laughs> so I was ready for this. And I think it's I like you said, I think it's both. Like he he thought his path was the only right one and it was all on him, and therefore anything that went against that was wrong. And now he's realizing that you know, more than one path can lead to the same destination and that his kids weren't wrong, that it's on all of us to do what we can and that he was just kind of letting his mission to save everyone on his own cloud his judgment and seeing what they could offer to that. And I thought that that was just like, it was cathartic for me because when I heard Anthony Howell, I was like, well, now I'm convinced that scene's going to be here and I was ready for it to not, like for it to be all in my head again. <laughs> I feel really good about it now that we got it. Yeah. He did a great job with that scene. Like really honestly, I agree. He, there was a there was a tenderness there. And of course, like I think an apology is one thing, following that up with action is another. So like mm-hmm. um I know some people from the get-go seemed much more compassionate towards Fortuno as a figure um than I was. I was ready to throw him overboard and have Amelianz divorce him and to just be both <laughs> both parents to those adorable children and just be the good parents they needed. Uh but this scene I think does have a lot in it. And even Amelianz like coming out and being like, yeah, I've been using all your money to fund them. Yeah. Yep. I like that was so good. lost it. I was like, there's <sighs> the action there's the thing Mm -hmm. that I wanted to see even from her in regards to supporting their children. That's right. We did talk about that before. You were upset that Mm -hmm. she hadn't been there supporting them. And Mm -hmm. guess what she was. Yes, exactly. Because, like, I, I just couldn't believe that, like, again, it's like words and action have to both form how we you know talk and communicate to one another but then also like back that up to help one another i mean moose like you were saying earlier inaction in and of itself is condemning many times and so i could not believe i was like okay her kids come back and she wants to pretend like she loves them and cares for them but like she's just been letting their dad like publicly slander them and denounce them and like i was like 
there's something does not mm. add up here. I think, you know, it's cute. She invited them for tea, but I know plenty of parental figures that play at loving and don't actually follow that up with actual support and care. You know what I mean? And so I was very on the fence about her. But when you get to this point and, you know, obviously she loves her husband. We see more of the humanity of Forchino. Forchino himself, like you said, so, so wonderfully moves, acknowledges that the way he was doing this was short-sighted and that like, you know, it, it was not a good thing to do and that he, there are many other ways beyond the one way he thought he had to do it and that had caused this rift and all these other things, which is very believable. Again, I know many people who have done stuff like that. Like, so to have this whole culmination and then have her be like, oh yes, I know, I was cleverly supporting them from behind mm -hmm. the shadows and I have been siphoning all of our fortune to that. I was like, We didn't right. really need it. We weren't okay. using it for anything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I love her little interaction with Tataru as well. They're mm -hmm. like, I don't even remember what they say, but they do like the same motion in opposites. Right. And I'm just like, yes, just, you're adorable. And I love you both. Yeah. Just showing that Tataru was in on it too. She knew. <laughs> like, yeah. She, she was just like, uh, I don't have to tell you that. Like, what do you need to know where the money's coming from? Please don't spend it on dumb things. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's also a, a tiny portion I wanted to bring up uh, where uh, mm. Vitra, via Varshan, visiting, wow, mm -hmm. uh, says that, uh, he, well, he brings them a scale, one of uh, Midgar Swimmer's aether-soaked scales from when he traveled the universe to get here. Mm -hmm. uh, he made sure that all the dragons who were still alive and well and would speak to him uh, <laughs> were okay with this before he did it. But uh, he mentions that Asdaja, or Asdaya, I forget how it's pronounced, um, mm was silent. So we speak about, we hear about a dragon that is still out there, theoretically, but not speaking. And I'm just like, ooh, that's a fun thread. Where are mm -hmm. we going with that? Please, please look forward to the new world. Yes. <laughs> Give me Mericidia plus new world plus new dragons. Yes. I, Vitra was a gift. This I, Vitra, mm -hmm. I mean, surprising no one, you all know how I feel about the first brood and the dragons in this game. I love Vitra, so if I can get more, I am down for it. Mm -hmm. Do you ever notice that he kind of looks like an elephant? <laughs> He's got I the big more... honking nose, and he has two, like, tusky fang things, just like an elephant. I guess. I can see that. I thought a little bit um, rhinoceros with the big... Mm -hmm. But... So, on my second playthrough, because I've started on my alts now, uh, in all of the imagery that's elephant-based in uh, Thavnir, I'm, I'm looking at it going, was that of an elephant? Because those are the people that are here? Or is that a depiction of Freetra? Because he has the same similar features. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's probably I, I an elephant, but I'm yeah. willing yeah. to I stretch mean, it in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, say Arkasodra. Um, because they obviously have played a big role and mm -hmm. a lot of the myth tying to those figures, there, there are actually some tidbits and lines about like those particular statues. Obviously in real world mythology, uh, having ties to, oh my gosh, my brain totally just shorted. Um, the elephant headed God who's oh, is, no, no, hold on. Ganesha, Ganesha. Ah, um, Ganesha, yeah. Ganesha, uh, who is, uh, I mean, again, I uh, talked a little bit about this in other places, but um, there's that real world parallel. But in this particular world, they talk about the mythology, particularly with the like 
humans and the sort mm-hmm. of beasts and how the, you know, with the minutiae and all this kind of stuff and how they then started swapping different parts of their bodies to find peace, right? Mm-hmm. So I think more of that imagery ties in there, but we do see with Vitra that apparently these sort of Arimana eyes around the city, I thought they were like specifically Ariman based, but right. apparently they do have a tie to like uh, Vitra's watchful eye. And even mm-hmm. some of the like patterning in the city, oh, it's so good. The textures in the city um, have uh, some of them like scale-like motifs and things like that, where if you actually like go around Radzat Han, you can see these like little hints of draconic inspiration um, in some of the architecture and the like artistry alongside the peacock stuff and other things that are also there. All right, that wraps this part up. Since we've fulfilled our duty, they're like, all right, I guess you can talk to Highland. And they take us into the, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's uh, another thingy that's just like the one in uh, Dravanian Hinterlands. Where the Aetioscope, can... right? Is that right? Probably. Yeah. Aetia. They had a, yeah. Yes. They had a name for what the two of them were, which I completely forget. But yes, this, this one in particular is the name of that dungeon, I believe. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah. you, you said it right, I believe. Um, yeah. So we, um, we get, go ahead. Uh, you know me and my etymology nonsense. Yes, it's here we go. The cause of everything or like the beginning of the origin is is an idea. So it's basically looking in on the origins. Ooh, right? So it's, it's just, it. that's why they named it what they did. It's like, this is how we figure out what the hell is happening. Where did it all come from? So I thought it was really cool. Um that they had this insulation this whole time. Because, you know, they had to have some way of doing this. We knew that. But it's really, I don't know, uh, like Victorian, I don't know, it's its a really old-timey way of, uh, we've got, you know, uh, the gramophone, and we'll just listen in on uh, Mom, what is she saying? Oh, nothing. All right, cool. It's like a string and cup from a, tele, uh, from a, from a um, treehouse. Yeah. yeah, kind of, yeah. And then obviously we use it as more of like uh, an actual yeah. portal to like, mm-hmm. get like you know, where we traverse down. Um, but I even love how you get a bit of that, like, you know, the, the cup and string effect mm-hmm. as like uh, Kryle is talking to you as you descend further in. Right. Oh my gosh. I, I was, I believe, I, yeah, I was streaming this for guides on the first day and I had my, my speaker or my, my sound on very, very, very quietly on my stream and didn't realize it. So as I was going through the first like maybe five minutes, I started to hear echoes of what I was doing. And I thought that was part of the dungeon. Mm. Cause you know, you're sort of a mystically place. There's memories and shit here. And I was like, that is such a cool effect. You guys hear that? Oh no, no, listen, it's going to happen right now. Yeah, there it is. Oh my god, that's so cool. And then I realized, no, that's <laughs> that is not because I had myself muted so that I wouldn't be in in the guide video. So all I heard was the parts of the dungeon echoing. I thought it was so cool, but it wasn't. I and s- now I m- wish it was there. <laughs> uh, I see in chat the question: If they had this, then why did they have the anti tower? Um, so the anti tower, as chat sort of responded, was kind of the 1.0 version. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when they originally kind of discovered this phenomenon of getting closer to like the ethereal sea and like burrowing down through the planet right um they were actually largely doing that research um in a location in the dravanian hinterlands which is where the colony of charlian 
came about. So all those ruins that we see around like the Alexander area, Idleshire, all that kind of stuff was once part of the colony of Charlian um, slash city state of Charlian, um, which again, like grew out around that point of study and then was abandoned um, during Fortuno's uh, lifetime pretty shortly. It, they were in the process of, of abandoning it when the twins were born, but they abandoned it after their birth. Um, because of all of these events and and war and all this stuff that was happening and the push of the uh, Garleans, uh, mm -hmm. because they didn't want to be involved in war, uh, but they also knew that Garlemald would likely be pushing for their shores if the like if the trend continued. Um, so they abandoned the colony, and then it was overrun by goblins and all kinds of other stuff, and really only became like probably decently safe to traverse after our own interference in building up Idleshire in the course of the timeline of the game. So again, like when they were back in their homeland trying to figure out how to answer this prophecy, uh, they suddenly had to, you know, go, well, do we try to go back there and like set up shop? You know, do we deal with the old woman that refused to leave who's <laughs> over there, Matoya, like who's, you know, get her to do it and then figure it out? Or do we build a new facility so that we can commune and figure out what to do as we look at, you know, this new task that we have mm -hmm. to have, but here in our homeland, in the motherland of old Charlie. And so that's kind of the quick rundown of the timeline of how we got here to the idea scope. But good job. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So yes, uh, the dungeon is basically us uh, traversing through this to find Mama. Uh, in the course of the dungeon, we fight some people that we have already murdered. Uh, <laughs> it seems still a little bitter. Uh, but on our journey, we also see some friends. And they buff us and they make us cry while we're trying to fight. And it's difficult. <laughs> uh, I forget I exactly. Go ahead. Oh, I just, oh, I just loved all of these. Mm -hmm. I was so surprised when we went into it. And that dungeon is so phenomenal. I think, okay, can we remember everyone? Um, Harshifon. Harshifon's mm -hmm. in there and he gives you a buff. But the first one, is it Papa Limo? Because he's wielding... Yeah, he Luthmar's is in there. Tupsumati, yeah, Tupsumati, yeah. the staff. It was funny because when I first got to that, I was like, Louis Soi. And mm -hmm. then like two runs later, I went, oh, it's probably supposed to be Papalimo because mm -hmm. I think he was wielding Tupsumati. Like, I think. <laughs> like, yeah. There's somebody um, there with an axe and I want to say it's a Moonbreeder. Yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If, <laughs> if you were playing at the time that... All right, hold on, how do I put this? If you were caught up with the main scenario when Moonbrita came out and you were playing it in real time, that axe has a huge memory attached to it. Was it, Were any of you playing in 2.4 to be there for that moment? Yes, but I don't remember it. Okay, so during that age, the one of the most popular um, like extracurricular activities for like challenge was doing the three extreme primals. Mm -hmm. And when you did the three extreme primals, you got to go up and get one of these weapons. Mm -hmm. And that was 2.1, 2.2, 2.3. And then you had like the, you could do all three and pick up a weapon, right? Well, when Moonbrita shows up in 2.4, she's like, yeah, check out my new axe. This woman in Mordona's just like giving them away. She said it was like for the good of the realm. And if you were playing the game, you know that 
um, Rowena's just unloading old stock that nobody mm-hmm. wants anymore to free up room in her place. So you know that this is just like old content acts. That's why they gave her the dual Haken. So like, I, I will associate that axe with her forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess I didn't, I didn't see it that way, but that's, that's absolutely what that is. Yeah. <laughs> it's true i actually the first run i did not catch that that was her and i didn't do the first run of this one with trusts i did many of the other ones with trusts Mm -hmm. but um i do believe there is some dialogue like you know you get a little acknowledgement and things like that and it hurts you even Mm -hmm. more after the Mm oriange oh yes um, we see Minfilia as well. Yes. Uh, Isail slash Shiva shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah. I mean, it was so, I, I, oh, I just loved this one. I loved right. this one. And we actually got to see like the mechanics of certain bosses. I was maybe a little bit more divided and we'll, we'll get to this, but I was a little, maybe a little bit more divided that they were all Garleans. Like they were all the mm. Garleans. Yeah, it was kind of like, weird. We didn't get a mix of other entities, but Who else I, mean, I we guess. murdered. Mm-hmm. I, like who else do we just straight up murder? <laughs> it's it's interesting to me because you know you're in the ethereal sea or or as close as you could possibly get without being deleted or whatever happens, right? And all of these like vengeful memories pop up. This this is what the Garleans are, and it just makes me wonder. And we'll get to it eventually. How did Zeno sup on the Mother Crystal? Did he have to walk through here? Did he have a very bad walk down here? I just want to know. Like that's just. Look, well, as as uh, Moose said earlier, oh, we'll talk okay. about Xenos mm-hmm. when we get there. <laughs> so we'll talk about it. It's just Three questions, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I had a bit of the same reaction. I had this, you know, how I was talking about how sometimes I have to like choose my framing very wisely mm. because like I am salty about things. I had that same reaction. Is like all of this stuff is like not stuff we've done recently. This is like they're deliberately pulling groups of things from very specific places, and I. I had to choose to see it as not, well, these are the people who are dead because Ishikawa doesn't like killing people. Mm-hmm. I had to cho- I had choose to see it as the end is the beginning, that 6.0 is 2.0, and that this was 6.0's opportunity to call those subjects back up again. I had to mm-hmm. choose to see it that way. But yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Like, why these... I know yeah. it's like, and that's a good read, honestly. Um, I, I mean, yes, I, I'm pretty sure that's what they were doing, right? Even hearkening back to those, um, trying to maybe give more of a nod to a couple of the villains that they hadn't necessarily mm-hmm. touched on. Um, but it is very strange, and especially too, like that first fight uh, with Liv- is Livia's ghost, right? No, yes, mm. yeah, I believe yes. so, yeah, yeah. That one was so bizarre after having done um, the weapons quest mm-hmm. because we get so much more information about Gaius and one of the weird th- one of the weird things that still is kind of hanging over from that is that like Livia was one of his adopted daughters and yet every single time you're talking to her like in any of the stuff from 1.0 she is like so thirsty for him mm-hmm. and she is so angry at you for like she's so jealous of you and like all this stuff and i it was an even weirder dynamic when i realized i was like he raised her and he <laughs> just let this go on like what do you mean like what's happening here we um, <laughs> we debate this a lot mm. in my lore server cuz like like, there are some people, like, there's a scene before the Praetorium where he, like, you know that she's thirsty for him. And and uh, 
he's just like my quarters one hour and everyone's like mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh wife husbandry <laughs> and so now that they've brought Gaius back and are framing him as like an honorable person I feel like they kind of regret having that throwaway creepy power dynamic mm-hmm. stepdaughter vibe I'm going still on. convinced that they're not trying to show him as somebody who's found retribution so much as somebody who's still trying because, I, partially because of this I choose I choose to see him not as a redemption arc, but an atonement arc. And there's like a slight mm-hmm. difference there where in an atonement arc, it doesn't matter if anybody believes you. He's doing it for his own sake. So the whole world can still hate him and hold grudges against him. And he can still try to do better in his own right. And I think that that's what's going on. He's trying to be mm-hmm. more true to himself, not get rede- redemption from anybody else. But so, yeah, no, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, I, I said it kind of as a joke earlier, but really, who else have we killed? Yeah, no, it's true. It, it's well, like, who else would be vengeful and in the ethereal sea? That's the other thing. Well, let's think about it. I am surprised we didn't see anything with Yotsuyu. Although, or, well, you know. Uh, I don't think she would apply. She she was sort of mad at us at the end, but also not exactly. I mean, she, she had her own journey of peace. Mm-hmm. Um, who else would be... I mean, even if they had just picked different, like different sure. bosses from throughout, you know, uh, like it felt weird to me that they were all the Garleans from the beginning, yeah. as opposed to, I mean, even in uh, Stormblood, there's a rip and tear. <laughs> you know yeah. Thornton would have been Thornton would have been cool. Thornton um, would have been a really. Why not one. bring back the Kraken again? We've killed that guy a bunch. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think through Stormblood if there's any other like specific. Honestly, Ilbert. I mean, Ilbert shows yeah. up, but not mm. as a boss. But I would have liked to have seen him because, gosh, yeah, he was kind of huge about mm-hmm. like, like how would his spirit respond now that Alamigo was free? And yet, it really seems like by the end, he wasn't really fighting for Alamigo's freedom no. anymore, right? You know, like and, something like that would have been fascinating. And it's weird because Shiva shows up. But one of the theories I had is that if, if like, why wouldn't Yotsuyu? Why wouldn't Ilbert? Well, they became primals and were dissipated, but what does that do to their spirit? But then Ilbert kind of shows up in this, and I'm like, then I don't know. I don't know. Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's very, it's like, it's a very interesting thing. Um, I mean, on one hand, I was kind of excited about it because I do think some of the abilities, and I haven't actually gone through all of these, and um, mm-hmm. I want to, but stuff like mm-hmm. Agalia Climb from Livia, doesn't that, those are like references to various, like, Garlean areas, I want to say? I'm trying to remember. I don't remember, I was yeah. just going to say, Ilbert, we didn't technically kill? He kind of Disney villain killed himself, falling yeah. off a cliff? I don't <laughs> know if that counts. True. I mean, it just would be I'm sure they had them, like, all out on a table and were like, this one's got to be paired with the spirit who helps us, right? So, Ilbert and Papalimo got to go over here, and so-and-so and so-and-so got to go over here. I bet it, I bet it was difficult for them to pick. I don't know oh, that I, I agree with their with their choices, but eh. um, I see in chat would Nidhog make sense? I thought about that too, mm-hmm. but because this is something that I don't know if we have any else, we'll see. Maybe Moose, you have an idea on this too. 
I don't know if the dragons actually fall within the life cycle of the planet because they are technically different entities. And if you do some stuff later in Ultima Thule Mm -hmm. and like, you know, if you're around, they're talking to the dragons. There is this almost like discussion of how they can kind of like choose to just, what do they call it? Returning to stone or they can like choose to almost become like inert. Yeah. it's it's very strange, and we also know that their souls, their energy, seems to reside within their eyes, um, and that there are many references with um, Estinian in regards to like how he came into contact with the eyes, and like obviously Nidhogg's eyes themselves get destroyed, and yet um, Tiamat and you know the other dragons recognize within him that a part of Nidhogg still lives inside of him, mm-hmm. like in his soul, so. The dragons are very interesting because I don't know if they actually are a part of the life cycle as far as the life stream goes and the ether stream goes. Um, they may very well be like different entities in that regard and like composed of mm-hmm. a, like the way that they exist may be different than life as we see it um, that has like originated on Hydaelyn. They do mention later um, in Ultima Thule that each planet has sort of its own life stream. Right. And, and lives return to that planet's life stream. So I, I don't know if it would make a difference for someone who's moved here rather than come from someone else. I would think that the, the live stream closest to you would be the one that snatches you up. But I'm it would be interesting waiting. to think that the dragons would mm-hmm. go back to their god I've world. actually been waiting on clarity for part of that. Yeah. Um, because I think the implication that I took away from it, at least, was that the dragons of the source had become part of the source's live stream. Mm-hmm. Everyone except for Midgard Zormer. And that that was part of their covenant. That Heidelin accepted. Too. That, yeah. that accepted those seven as the like the the birth of the race aside from him, and that he in death would serve her, and that would be his spirit connecting to her. But they would be accepted into the life street. Like that's the takeaway I took from it. But that's entirely based on how we see the deaths of uh, the death of Nidhogg. Mm-hmm. where the true death of Nidhogg, the second time around, where we actually see his spirit come up and dissolve into mist, like that just said to me very like live stream connection. But we've never explored reincarnation through the dragons either. So I'm still kind of sitting down waiting to see what happens there. Okay. So I wish I could tell you more about it, but that's like as far into it as know. I've looked so far. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I would have loved to see, like, Nidhogg or something show up. I mean, that would have been right. really cool. I don't know. There's a lot of different options. Um, even if they had done... Well, although I guess technically, I think her soul has been consumed by Midgard's... Or uh, by Hreisvelger. Original Shiva would have mm-hmm. been really fascinating if she had, like, shown up or helped you. Or if she right. and Isail had interacted. That's, like, my dream <laughs> to see those <laughs> two interact even though they're both dead oh i think there's an argument to be made that shiva's spirit is actually consumed and lives within Mm race we we actually we posed this question to koji once upon a time um, because the explanation that they gave for what primals are at the time did not 100 percent vibe with that i remember that the, I, the idea of what primals were at the time was that when you 
call out with that faith and it becomes a beacon that it draws together all the shattered pieces of ether that were once a living thing and reforges them into whatever you kind of think it is. So like you could, it's like smashing a th one Lego thing and putting it together as a different Lego thing. Right. Um, so we actually did. We got all smug about it. We went to Koji like, <laughs> well, where did they get all the pieces of Shivo? if they're in Rezvelger. <laughs> and he was like, well, you know, it's okay, sometimes, you know, Aether can, you know, some of the pieces will go over here and some of the pieces will go over here. When you make a primal and you have the, you know, all the crystals and stuff, they can fill in the gaps like frog DNA in Jurassic Park. And so like... <laughs> Okay. I know. I have to say that the new idea of like creation concepts and like these intricate, I mean, all those gosh, mathematics or geometries mm -hmm. or, or arcade summonings that create a pattern, that create a structure, that makes a lot more sense than frog DNA pieces. <laughs> I think technically what he was saying was, um, yes, I think yeah. I'm, I'm saying that myself. I think his actual metaphor, still dinosaurs. <laughs> Was that um, <laughs> even if you only find five or six bones, you can make the rest out of plaster and put the whole skeleton together. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. yeah. Would explain the summonings in Eden a lot more. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just <laughs> got an extra heads from somewhere. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's fine. Plaster. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right. So podcast, but I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're not necessarily happy with the uh, all of the enemies we have to fight, but mm -hmm. how do we feel about having to fight Amon yet again, or Aemon? Mm. I, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Moose, no, That's no, what fine. were you going to say, Moose? What were you going to say? <laughs> Remember how I make peace with things? By coming uh, up with my own... Uh -huh, mm -hmm. uh -huh. My own assessment. Okay. I... I did have this kind of bother me a bit at the time. And my explanation in my head is now that it did feel out of place at the time. But if we didn't have this, if we didn't have this scene where we saw kind of that weird recollection of Amon and Hermes kind of coming together and remembering everything, then on a second playthrough, we would have asked, hey, wait, what the hell? Mm -hmm. Because... <laughs> This this is setting up consistency with what we see with um, Hades and why why am I not able to think of names right now? That's so weird. What we see oh. with Emmett, Emmett Selk and Hithlidaeus later mm. at the end of the end of the game, where we see them kind of coming up and having their memories back and acting in this way. I feel like if we didn't see this on the second playthrough, we would have had that like, well, why didn't the Eagles just fly the ring to Mordor mm -hmm. moment? Where, why didn't we see Amon slash Hermes here? Why didn't we see Amon slash Hermes kind of remembering who they were? Because um, there's one option where you can say something to Amon and he actually references Hermes's journey ends here, the man who mm -hmm. knew so much and understood so little. And I think that's how I make peace with this scene is it felt out of place at the time, but in retrospect, it foreshadows what we're going to see later in terms of the mechanics of the area. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree with everything you just said. My hatred of this fight was just that I just didn't like that it was just like Ammon again, just yeah. Ammon's model, like just Ammon there. I. Mm -hmm. I guess for me, what I was hoping for, it, I guess it maybe felt dissonant in the same way that I, it sort of felt dissonant to me 
trying to figure out how to explain this. Out of the bosses of this dungeon, Rattatan is actually my favorite. Not only because I think the yeah. mechanics are fun, mm -hmm. but because the way that he manifests... Okay, I'm putting together a much bigger thought, so as I leap ahead, everybody, uh, hang on, ride with me here. Um, like, if we think of the like guardian forces or these like morphs i guess that people do so like hermes taking on his true form and everybody being like that's so embarrassing look at like how naked he is because he's just showing his summoning form you know and then we kind of maybe make a leap to where we're thinking then like okay well if this is some kind of manifestation of the soul right then how does the soul manifest um I viewed these bosses in this dungeon as what would almost be kind of like the Guardian Force versions of their soul, if that makes sense, in that, mm -hmm. like, this is the way their souls purely manifest versus their, like, bodies um, that are, like, containers for, you know, these other energies and physical ether and stuff like that. And so, one, when we started it out, I was a little bit confused about Livia, and it was a little bit dissonant because of Gaia stuff, and then I was also just a small amount. This is just me. These are pet peeves, and they're very silly. The dungeon itself is one of my favorites, and I want to make that really clear. But third, I was kind of peeved that they just reused one of those same model enemy models for her that we've seen, like, a hundred times with the hair slash and stuff, because mm -hmm. I was like, you can visually tell me a story about her with how you design and manifest her soul in this dungeon so in that regard i feel like Ritaten to me makes the most sense like the right. way he manifests is really interesting and like you can see in his original fight in cape westwind mm -hmm. you see the man but then you see this like amplification of his soul and like the way he kind of manifests and how he's almost become one with his armor that he wore and he's got these big shields and things so I think my problem with the Amon fight um, wasn't anything about the actual, like, it being there as a thing. Um, it was more so that I kind of wish that they had taken us on more of a visual journey. Um, on one hand, I think they needed to show Amon as Amon so that any person who maybe doesn't pay as much meticulous detail right. to the story as we do would go back to Crystal Tower and be like, oh, it's that guy. Like, so I think it was important to have it there. But I almost kind of wish that that fight hadn't just been like Amon take two and had more been, like you said, an actual story, like where we saw maybe some weird warped, twisted version of like Hermes's mm -hmm. soul form that was like part Amon, part that. And then like at the end shifted into full Amon or something. And we get that line about, you know, um, the man Hermes was is dead. Like, mm -hmm. or like you got like, both of them in the arena at some point, and then like Amon kills his other self via the mechanics. Yeah. Somewhat, a, a little smidge, a little smidge. I I can't I, you, disagree on the visual part. But. Oh, absolutely. You don't you don't know what you've just done oh, in no. my in my head. I'm never gonna be able to see him the same again. What have you done? <laughs> what if? What if what we see there, that outfit, that mask, that all that, you know, all that stuff he's got going on. What if that is his guardian force form? And what happened was Amon the Alagon used all the cloning technology and chimeric technology that they had to basically make himself like a, a guardian force fursona suit. And mm. <laughs> that's why he built the opera house. And yeah. I mean, what have you done? We have a little bit of this. I like it. No, it I makes perfect sense good. because uh -huh. of pandemonium, because we are introduced to Hemitheos and taking elements of other things and merging them into yourself into a demi 
human god thing. Form. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah. All right. So all right. what you're okay, saying is, right. when you wear the Aemon armor, you're wearing a fursuit. <laughs> yes. Canon. Mm -hmm. Canon. Uh -huh. All right. So my, <laughs> yeah, my thing here. It's gonna be on the fandom wiki in 20 minutes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, my thing here. Um, I didn't really mind the fight. I I like that it echoed the other fights. Um, mm -hmm. Now that you've pointed it out to me, I kind of wish they'd done something more with him visually, but it didn't really bother me at the time. Mm. I think I just. Honestly, I think I just wanted to beat him up and get it over with. Um, I mean, it's, the, the, thing, the thing here that did bother me was it made me cheer on Asahi, and I didn't like that. Mm. I didn't like that at all. I know. I was like, let's take the two characters, maybe other than Xenos, that I have been the most irritated by, and then put them in one area and be like, now you have to choose one or the other. Who wins? And I'm like... Neither of them win because Asahi's <laughs> like, How dare you use my body to screw with precious Lord Xenos? I'm taking you to extra uber hell, and that's where they go, and you don't see them ever again. Hooray. Mm -hmm. Um, that does raise a good point. Um, I wanted to say really fast, overall, I actually think this is this whole dungeon is gorgeous. Like, I actually sure. oh, love yes, the way that sure. they embody, like, the way you proceed through and the mm -hmm. crystals and the shards and those, like, pockets of souls. And, like, it is so phenomenal. Even down to the way that, like, you traverse it between the platforms where you are, the way that we've seen you, like, interact with Heidelin before, where you're that, like, shooting star. You know, I love mm -hmm. that kind of... Um, look into it i think all of that manifests the idea of being in the ethereal sea in a way that's really fun and, and i like seeing it um because it's always hard to take an abstraction and then try to create a concrete journey through it you know um but here's the question for all of you then what do we think about super hell what do we I like think it. About I like it because because Hermes and Asahi went there, and we don't have to see them ever again. Mm -hmm. They'll never be reborn. They don't deserve it. Go away. Go to super hell. Goodbye. Is it Tartarus? Oh, sure. That's my oh, question. No. <laughs> right. You know, we had Hades and the underworld and the. I'm maybe. just saying. I don't know that it's actually super hell. Sure. I I sort of viewed it as more like. Uh, yeah. I've decided that my soul no longer wishes to return for round 472 of life. Mm -hmm. Which I believe they've mentioned before. Souls can yeah. decide they don't want to go back. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hermes even says as much uh, when you, you get the little prompt that where you can be like, we'll find the answer together next time, buddy. He's like, nah, my story's over. Bye. <laughs> See ya. Yeah, I mean, I think that raises an interesting lore question um, in that we have heard even in recent interviews, I mean, confirmation of what you just said, Zen. Like, Yoshida said, I believe, was also saying, like, oh, yeah, I don't know about Emmett and Hythlodius ever being reborn again because their work is done and they probably mm -hmm. wouldn't want to come back. And a little part of me is like, is that just him saying that because they don't want to keep bringing characters back? Is that mm -hmm. him saying that? Because it does seem strange to me that souls in kind of the abstracted sense, like when, like you have a, a, an identity that is your own mm -hmm. and obviously that identity is still recognizable, but you would think that for like the existence of the planet, that like you wouldn't necessarily mm. have a personal say See, in whether or not you get reincarnated. You know yeah, I choose I mean? to believe what, what they mean is, choose to continue on with that identity. Like what I what yes. I think is that they just give up the identity and just, purely our energy and then manipulate it however you will. I don't care anymore. I'm not mm. a part of this. Is what I'm I wondering, thought. can, what is the process for them being reborn since they are, well, mm -hmm. Hithlodius is sundered? No, I guess he wasn't because he was killed before. 
So well, they're not right. sundered. He was absorbed into. He yes. was part of the so fuel. So technically right. unsundered. Um, so yeah. how? What's the process of an unsundered person being reborn? Does like does all of that aether go into one new person? How would that work? Yeah, they they had to answer this on one of the Q and As. They they had to they had to choose like live <laughs> whether they were going to be you know ad hoc sundered now or whether they were going to be reborn. Um, and Yoshida and Orestan chose um, to do all of that Aether stays one person. But it turns out that if you're born, then, you know, if you're just born as a human, then you you might be a little cooler than other humans. Like, it's not going to be, you're not going to be born in ancient. You're just going to be right. like high quality dude. Like, that's pretty yeah. much all it's going to come down to. Nice, nice. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's a high quality dude. High quality, high quality dude. dude. That's what Just you're H gonna be. H HQ person. Yes. Also, I will reiterate. Um, I know it's technically Hithlodeus, uh, but I have been saying it Hithlodeus for a million mm -hmm. years. So that's how the anyone, internet tells you to say it. I know. Well, mm -hmm. anyone who's out there who's like. Why, Rook, why do you say their name wrong all the time? It's just because that's just how I, I just, I don't know. My brain just reads it that way, so. It happens, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> when we were, yeah, yeah, when yeah. we were first in your defense, I didn't mind too, because I switched back and forth. Mm -hmm. When we first had his name unspoken, I looked up how to pronounce this, and the internet pronounces it that way, not his Hithlodeus. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. I knew that from the get-go. Obviously, I'm doing it right. The game's doing it wrong, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> I'll, because you guys are talking about it, I'm going to choose to bring it up here instead okay. of later. Um, yes, that is exactly what happens with the the souls of those two. They are saying, like, Emmett Selk says to you at the end that he will be reborn someday, and he's not going to be himself then, because, like, what he wants is not going to happen. He wanted a world right. that the world that he knew and loved. And because the world he knew and loved is never coming back, he doesn't want to be himself anymore. So that it's your job as the warrior of light to save the world that you knew and loved, which is a continuation of the world, preferable to oblivion, where he yes. can come back and enjoy that world as someone else. That's what he's saying. He says, set the stage for my return, is what he says. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they'll be back, but I mean, they're coming back as high quality babies. So we're, they're not going to be grown up for a little while. Like they're they're going to be a child for the rest Moose. of the game. <laughs> I already have a solution for this and I've already What's covered that? it because What's I love that? the book. Time passes differently on the shards, Moose. So maybe <laughs> so on gonna, one of them. Okay. I'm just so, saying, maybe I'll yeah, one of them will okay. get there and there's high quality hotties ready to go. Because <laughs> they've already <laughs> grown up. Yep. Okay. High quality hotties ready to go. <laughs> they want to meet you tonight. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> All right. So, is that what we think? Like, somewhere, somewhere mm -hmm. on the 11th right now, there's just a doctor like, man, that's a good baby, but time is moving just a little fast. <laughs> <laughs> and that on one of the um, shards for a future uh, disciple of hand and land job, uh, midwifery is going to actually come into play. So <laughs> there's some shard out there in which a midwife um, goes to do the gathering action and uh -huh. it, it just gathers a baby and gets high quality first go. And that will be the high quality hotties that we'll meet later. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, didn't they remove <laughs> HQ? So isn't there now just two babies? So now they're going to be twins? Right? Can't you not HQ? <laughs> are you, are you going to be okay? Are you going to be all right? <laughs> 
mean, either way. I just wanted to throw in twins. I mean, right, that's right, great. Right. You know, I like that. I like that you are encouraging me. So speaking <laughs> of high quality hotties, after we get yeah. through this dungeon, you can see the yeah. sparkle in Rook's eye. I can still be the sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know me too well now, Moose. You know me too well. That was in my brain right then in that moment. Yes, that's what that little twinkle in my eye was. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So we get to fight Mom at the end of this. We show up and we're like, hey, so like, what the crap do we do now? We don't want to, we don't want to go to your moon. Like, thank you for making it. But we also would just like to save the planet. Can we do that? And she was like, yeah, actually. Like, I made this in case you guys weren't strong enough and needed to run away. But if you want to test your might, if you will, and see if you are strong enough, let's throw down. Um, she also tells you at some point that she has been saving. She's She's been weakening since the very start of this game. But she's been saving a reserve of Aether just for this fight with you that she knew was coming. So that you could prove to her that you're strong enough to save the planet. Mm-hmm. This is where we have to do a terrible thing and beat up our mom. Oh, it's so good. I love this. I love this. I love this. Everything about this. I was really nervous as to how they would realize her, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because, like, you hear about Heidelin and Zodiac, and I think every single person will have a different feeling and reaction to how they were actually shown in-game. Um, for me, I felt like Zodiac, there might have been a little wiggle room where I was like, maybe I envisioned him a little bit differently. And mm. they did state that they tried to, like, as much as possible kind of embody the art that Amano did, which again, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, thank you. Yes, perfection. I love this. <laughs> um, but to me, it felt like the Zodiac, I was like, this is cool. I really like it. And especially when his faceplate came off, I was like, now I feel like I'm in the vibe. Heidelin from the get-go, I was like, this is perfection in a video game. Right. <laughs> like, she is everything I wanted and more. She is beauty. She is great. Grace, she is miss in the middle of the planet. States of space. Yes, <laughs> like, I think it works. She's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I felt like it was pretty smooth and really it, eloquently put. Uh, <laughs> it's she's gorgeous. Yeah, they they hit chaos cosmos, <laughs> which is just Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy is chaos, chaos and cosmos. You go to Dissidia. It is exactly what I envisioned for a Heidelin. You know what I mean? Especially when you kind of get into Vana and the Ancients, and you see Zodiac. And you go, okay, well, I'm imagining the 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 opposite of that. And for me, it just worked perfectly. Um, I really, really enjoyed that design. And the fight, oh my goodness. Such a fun fight. Especially, you know, uh, the, the extreme version. I don't like light waves. <laughs> I love They're it. so cool. Such a I cool mechanic. I love when I'm like half a fraction behind the rock in the wrong direction and I immediately get destroyed. I'm like, destroy me more, Hylin. <laughs> Please and thank you. I see, I see. Using the blessing of the crystal to hide behind. It's just, it hits on so many different levels. It was, it was cool. I mean, Seeing all those music, things mirrored again. The music and um, the fact mm-hmm. that they work into, especially in the ad phase, where she answers her own question i oh my gosh it gets me oh it just got me it just got me um it's gorgeous and uh yeah i mean she is definitely the highest quality hottie of probably 14 thus far i would say personally um i you know i don't call her mom purposefully because that's a weird dynamic hearkening to gaius and i don't like that (laughs) 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 i'm just going straight high quality hottie vanat was as good now as she was then back in the days of the ancients um 
But this whole section is just so fantastic to actually finally, after so many years, we have so many sirens going by in our apartment in Chicago. I apologize, everybody. Um, but like, she just like, this journey that you've taken, only speaking to her in these tiny little glimpses, to actually stand there face to face with her. And then to also have this option to like do the fight. It's one of the first trials that we've had in the game, right? Where we can take our NPC allies in. And the dialogue even in that, I loved every single moment. It was all so fantastically done. Um, gosh, yeah, this was a really impactful one for me uh, with her. I just I, I like loved that it. she she took the time to address everyone, not just you, not just the mm -hmm. person who she set up to be here. She she talks to each scion and it says, "You did good at this thing that was holding you back, and you did good, and I'm so proud of you. And you did good at this thing that was holding you back, and I'm so proud of you." And she just moves between all of them, and mm -hmm. it's so precious. Um, uh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Trying to think of where to start. Yeah. God, this, this scene was everything. It um, was. I, as someone who has been Team Heidelin since since two point one, yeah, you were caused caused me to slam that button down. Uh, this was like the catharsis I was waiting for. So the fact that they did it so well was everything. Um, especially after what we've gone through in Elpis to set it up, and. Like, there are just so many callbacks to, like, jokes I've made or things I've said or just all the things in the build-up to this, especially, like, to see the the way the um, traditional Japanese Amano watercolor came together for her design. Um, because, the like, I had been joking on Twitter, like, they had said that uh, Elidibus had come forth from Zodiac's breast, and I was like, okay, so that means he was probably, like, in the man form at the time. So, like, he had an anthropomorphic form, and if they fought a civil war, then, you know, does Heidelin have an anthropomorphic form? Is she hot? Mm -hmm. And everyone yelled at me on Twitter. <laughs> like, it was just, like, it was just, like, bonk, bonk all day. Uh, so, the fact that we got this, like, beautiful anthropomorphic form was funny but also in a way it honored that traditional amano style and it was just catharsis and so 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 many levels um and you know the people like who say like they i i call it uh shit looks like other shit culture mm -hmm. on on twitter where they're just like hey this looks like this so they're canonically connected now like the whole spiral the whole mm -hmm. <laughs> thing okay. that you had going on when when this fight came out there was a friend of mine who's very big into that kind of stuff. And I, they sent me a screenshot of Heidelin and they're like, look, she has moose antlers. This is because you always believed in her. And now every time I look at the uh, uh, look at the model, I see the moose antlers and I'm like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> so this is just going to be me for the rest of time. Now I'm stuck with this visual in my head. But I have a question for you three. Mm -hmm. All right. At the end of this scene as everything wraps up, you have an option. Yes. And you can choose to call her Heidelin, or you can choose to call her Vinat. Which did you guys choose? What Vinat. monster would not choose Vinat? Vinat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> monster. Yeah, you kind of you kind of have to. Okay, so <laughs> when I was going, going through the cutscenes oh. last night to make this outline, uh, you know what? Give us your answer first, Charles. Oh, no, I, I said. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I, of course, answered, I called her Vinat. And then I went, what happens if you call her Heidelin? And mm -hmm. I felt gross going back and hitting the button, but I did it. If you really? don't call her Vinash, she doesn't cry. I mean, yeah. Mm. 
because you're I a mean, monster. it's obvious. It's obvious, it's but it's like, line. it's like, ah, uh, it's mm-hmm. so, it's so good that they put that in there. It just, it means so much. And it's such a I, cool thing. I was the only one who chose Heidelin. Yeah. Hmm. In the moment, because it meant, uh, you can call yeah. me a monster. You can call me a monster. But <laughs> in the moment, it meant something different but... to me. And like, right. ch- chat was furious. Oh, let, me, no. let me tell you, chat, chat was mad. <laughs> So everybody in the chat, like, it was just a stream, and I'm like, no, 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 I hate it. But to me, what was going on in that scene was recognizing kind of the multiple parts that she had to play. Um, I feel like I met and walked with Vana in Elpis, and that this was the culmination of all of that. So to me, calling her Heidelin in that moment was recognizing the 12,000 years she spent being the world soul too. So in that moment, I was saying goodbye to this friend, but in a way that like we did it, we made it to the end of the world and the world no longer needs a soul. Thank you for all you've done for the world. And I was the only one who saw Mm -hmm. it that way and everyone called me a monster. And now that you're telling me that she only cries if you call her Vanah, yeah, I don't see it the accurate way. I need to go back. I I need to go delete that whole line of logic. I'm going to build it from scratch. Well, don't don't throw it away just yet. (laughs) Because I would say that her breaking there is great and we want to feel that, but not her purpose, right? Her purpose is hope and not despair. Right, I don't that see the call, tear as despair. No, she's not despairing, but you might because of it, because oh. she finally cracked, is what I'm saying. She's trying oh, okay. to stay strong, and you broke her. And I'm saying that that's not a bad thing, but I'm saying that I could see picking Heidelin to stay in that moment, to be like, okay, look, this is what we have to do. I'm going to send you off. This is what we have to do. I'm going to be professional. It's the professional answer. It is. What it really that is. moment? That's like her right. last life's well, breath. I know. Make her feel good about what she's done. Well, right. I mean, I think the thing is really, I tease, I, you are not really mm-hmm. a monster moose, and I understand why you would pick that. Um, yeah. Because I think it's one of those really incredible moments that even if the moment with her doesn't change drastically, right? Mm-hmm. The way that you yourself relate to it or feel it will. So, like, you having that feeling of saying Heidelin, because to you right? Heidelin is also just like an entity that you have championed and fought for for a very long time. And you may have even known her more in a sense, right? We were just having this whole conversation about like a soul choosing to retain its identity. I think Mm -hmm. you can even make an argument here as to whether or not your Azem chose to reincarnate with the memories because they're very coy about that. You know what I mean? We don't see flashbacks of our memories as Azem. Mm -hmm. So, like, I think there's plenty of room here Yet. where maybe she recognized mm-hmm. your soul and what you were capable of, but who you were was gone. So to you, the person that has shepherded you and who has ushered you through has been a Heidelin and she has been a beacon of strength and hope. And so in that moment, she truly accepts what she has become and, you know, it, it passes that legacy over. To me, when I was experiencing it, it was more to me that she had become something so great and had lost who she was in the face of that, right? She had had to assume a burden, like Mm. much like she had when she took a role in the council or in the convocation, much like she had when she took anything else. She had always had to be 
this larger than life thing. Um, but that sometimes no matter who we are, even if we are the most powerful people in the world, um, those who see us as an individual, it can strike you as the most meaningful mm -hmm. to be there at the end and have even one person who knew you as the person you were and the person that had been the one who chose to do this, to start this path. Um, to me, that was so resonant because like, you know, if I was there at the end and I had been bitterly alone for so long mm -hmm. and fought for so hard to have one person call me by the name that I thought I would never hear again would make me cry like a little baby too. Not yeah. a high quality baby, just the regular baby <laughs> just that a I regular have. Baby. Like I would a cry so ass baby. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can get it. It's kind of a it, it's a it's a signal to her that she can lay down the burden that you did call her Vina. Kind of to me. It's it's a I've got this. Heidelin, it's over. You know what I mean? We have done this. Take a nap, mama. Vina. Go off. Do do whatever it is you want to do. Well, there's nothing you can do because as we know from Yoshi P, she dissipates and will not be reincarnated. That was the last of her energy. <laughs> Yoshi P is the real monster. Right. Why are you, why are you <laughs> over here? Over here like, mm -hmm, I don't know, Izzy. No saliva mm -hmm. dead. Who knows? And you're like, you know, Heidelin's gonzo. She gonzo forever. Never come back. No Vanat. Nothing left. Nothing left. Although he does put a little thing in there about mm -hmm. the traveler's charm that she bestows upon you. And that yeah. there may be like some part of her that is still alive in a sense in that. Not mm -hmm. a consciousness, I think, entirely. But uh, much like what we talked about even with Oriange and those discussions about, mm -hmm. um, you know, loss that like there are, oh my gosh, this expansion, it gets me so bad. Mm -hmm. I started thinking this and I immediately started tearing up and here we are. <laughs> um, but that like, there are true finite endings in our lives, whether that's just people who leave us or death. And that sometimes we have to walk our own path ahead alone, mm -hmm. but that there is some comfort to be taken in the imprint those people have left on us and some life that still goes on although not literally um with the legacy they leave us you know the you know don't forget that mm -hmm. Emmett Salk says don't forget that we once lived um and it's it's a tough thing because like there are just going to be some people that we have no guarantee we will ever see again but mm -hmm. what we carry from them and how we use that in the world is in some small way an extension of their life and also just in our own selves, you know, it, it expresses how we ourselves choose to grow and move and live. Um, so I, I see it that way, although I'm still not happy about it because mm -hmm. I want her to also be reincarnated well, as the hot, yeah. high quality baby. But that's okay. Did you see what, what Chet said? Heidelin mm. no longer exists in that mm -hmm. moment. She's Vina now. So Yoshi P just said Heidelin was mm -hmm. gone forever and ever and ever and ever. But thanks, Chat, for having my back on this group. <laughs> Come come back to me on this one someday. I feel like I need mm -hmm. to like I need to like sleep on it. I need to like let my subconscious process for a okay. bit. Okay, all right. Because I'm like I'm reading the words over again, and I'm still drawn towards it for some reason. I think it might be because of the word choices in what she says and what mm -hmm. you say. Um, there are three lines. Only one of them changes based on what you say. So. The second two lines are always long after I have gone, uh, though my or hold on. Yeah, there we go. Long after I have gone, though, not even my soul remaineth. My love will be with you forever, my dearest children. So that's in both of them. 
Now, if you say, thank you, Heidelin, she says, it is I who should thank thee for all thou hast done and may yet accomplish. And if you say, we will find our way, Vana, uh, she says, of this I have no doubt, for yours is a brilliant light beyond measure. And for like now that I'm reading it again, like again, again, my mind is drawn to the first option, even though it's like the wrong one. Mm -hmm. um, There's the because, wrong one. It just suits, <laughs> it, it suits however you like because it. Because you don't, you don't get to say thank you. Like she already mm -hmm. knows you're going to find your way because you beat her. That was her whole, like she's been mm -hmm. saving up for this test. She's been saving up for this fight so that she'll know if she lets go that it'll be okay. And I think that, regardless of what you say she knows it's going to be okay and that she can move on so i feel like this is your last opportunity to say thank you for holding on until now and thank you for who you've been until now and the fact that the the last line is my dearest children i think rhymes so well with calling her heidelin in that moment mm -hmm. and i'm gonna need to sleep on this to find my way <laughs> to being okay with an off I mean, like, you, can, you can make peace with both. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I It's funny because I hadn't necessarily considered in the way that you had Moose. So hearing you talk about it makes me go, oh, I do see a lot of the facets of that. Again, that makes it so there's no like wrong choice in this mm -hmm. scenario. Um, I, I think it really is up to how you connect with it and what you right. want to say in that moment. Um, I also just want to like do a shout out to just all of Heidelin's dialogue during all oh, of yeah. this because all of it is so good. You reading those lines, I was like, oh, they're amazing. And then I think about that uh, ad phase where I pulled up, I pulled it up while we were talking because mm -hmm. I just wanted to mention. But that line where she does "Follow your light" or "Fly, my children, and never look back." Like I. Mm -hmm. I oftentimes get tired of boss lines when you repeat a fight over yep. and over and over. You know, the whole raid group or your static or your pug, everybody makes fun of it. They're like, no mm -hmm. more games of Scrabble. <laughs> no Feeble more. shield. Feeble yeah. shield. Um, but I still have not gotten sick of that line. I don't mm. know if it's the delivery. I think it's the writing. She is so well written in this that like, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I think there's compelling arguments to be made for interpreting everything you say to her and she says to you in this scene because really when it comes down to it like we have had a very personal and ambiguous relationship with mm -hmm. Heidelin over the years and how you wanted to fill in those blanks I think they did a great job of like solidifying who she was within the context of their narrative but also still leaving you the room to relate to her as a figure in a way that you want to you know mm -hmm. it's also Maybe placed really well like, that line like yeah it's like right when she's about to crush our faces. Yeah. It's real good. It's very good. Um, so as to the things that actually happen before her dissipation, possible death, but maybe not really, who knows? Um, she gives us a crystal, much like she did at the very beginning of things. It's even the same color, I believe. It's the blue one, right? Um, and it is the passage to get to Meteon. Basically, uh, way, way back in Ambush, however many lore casts ago, just one lore cast ago, she put a little, little target bloop, right on Meteon's butt. And <laughs> so she knows where she went. And that crystal will tell us where she went. She says, I think that the Lopperts will be able to tell us uh, where it is. Uh, and then she tells us to use the rest of the Mother Crystal's power to fuel the journey there. So she's still giving us crystals to the very bitter end. Uh, and then she gives us, quote unquote, mastery over matter, which she imbues into the Asm crystal that you still have. Um, 
and says, when the way forward is hidden, even from the mind's eye, look not to the invocation, but within yourself. So that's, don't worry about the words to speak for the spell. Look in your heart and you'll know what to do. Which is very, very sweet. Once again, very bittersweet. But uh, punches home again the point that we may know what we need to do, but knowing isn't always going to get us where we need to be. We have to trust ourselves. It's interesting, too, because I hadn't even thought about it until we literally were talking about it right here. But I also feel like there's a great kind of, uh, like, double meaning there. Because in a, in a more, I guess, literal sense in the fantasy narrative that we have, you know, she's saying, don't worry about, uh, like, the summoning summoning forms of ether, right? Like, don't worry about an incantation, a manifestation of the past. Look to yourself, your own heart. And we know when we get to Ultima Thule that it's a manifestation of um, uh, Akasha slash, why am I forgetting? The Dynamis. Dynamis. Mm -hmm. So, like, again, the way that we affect that world and place um, comes from the heart and from, like, our emotions and oh, the impact yes, it we does. have. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. like, I love that because I love the duality. Like, I absolutely agree. Like, the way you like broke it down zen is 100 percent what it means and i also really love that parallel with like the way they decided to create a metaphor of that in that final zone mm -hmm. so having done what we set out to do perhaps not knowing that we would have to kill her mama but here we are with the tools that we needed from her we return to labyrinthos and there's this really cute scene oh, actually you have like a dream there's like an underwater conversation slash dream with, I think, Kythlodius. Which... Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't see that. Com like, I didn't figure out what the hell those were. Yeah. Like, I, I knew it was really? an ancient... Yeah, I knew it was an ancient. I knew that, like, I was trying to pick up on the hairstyles because I, I had not given myself enough room to be confident in the boot bootstrap paradox time travel kind of thing yeah. yet. And that's what really, like, I could not figure out what was going on there. And I guess, I mean, in retrospect, oh, it's Emmett and Hithlodius, and they're going to show up and be a mm -hmm. big part of the ending together. Like, it's an anime was not in my mind. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So looking back, yeah, that's what it was. But I didn't put it together at all. Yeah. This is one of the few places where my um, passionate, shall we say, <laughs> enjoyment... Passion. My passion for these two mm -hmm. characters, I think, served me well because from the moment I saw them and then lost them, I was immediately scheming in my mind. You know, now that all this room had been freed up from my Nautilus theories, I was immediately mm -hmm. scheming in my mind about now how do I get them back again? <laughs> so <laughs> when when she says, like, I give you the power of manifestation, you know, or whatever, like as 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 Heidelid, I can make things appear. And I was like, oh, I'm going to fish them out of that ocean. <laughs> I'm going to make them real again, whether they want it or not. And then when we got the like bubble scenes, I was like, oh, water imagery, you don't say. Mm -hmm. Ethereal Sea, could it be my boys? And I'm going to bring them back. <laughs> Do you think that's but, what it was? I, yeah, I sort I of viewed like, us yeah. as under the water rather than him under the water. Because we're the ones I, who are who's bubbling. Maybe we're both under the water. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just viewed it as more of like, again, like a visual abstraction of right. like, okay. Because they oftentimes do refer to ether with like water metaphors, mm -hmm. the ethereal stream uh, or like the ethereal sea, uh, the life stream. Right. Um, like there's all these different flow, words. the flow. song. Mm -hmm. 
um, that they use like water imagery. So mm -hmm. when they did that, I immediately went to like, oh, this is just meant to be, it's like a dream. So it's like, again, more mm -hmm. of an abstract manifestation of it. But I'm guessing that like you're sensing through the ether or something right. like, because you just came out of the that's ethereal thought, thought. sea, you still have this mm -hmm. connection. Okay. And yeah, that's, that's kind of what I had been thinking. Right. Okay, and you know, it. it's a callback somewhat to Amarat as well. Like on top of everything else, it's the undersea. Yeah. You know, I, I immediately was like, okay, it's one of them. Okay. I think I know which one. Okay. Well, why? Oh boy. I, almost, <laughs> I didn't know why. I, I, I think that your interpretation makes much more sense, but I almost viewed it as, um, Hithlodius knows Asim's aether. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's speaking to you through it, and you only have a portion of it, so it's almost like you are bogged down in water. That's, hmm. I guess, the impression that I got. I don't think it's necessarily right, but that was what I took from it. I mean, again, I'd say no right or wrong on this, right? They don't mm. give us, like, a tangible yeah. way. They're like, well, that was us in the ethereal sea. So it was a great time. We took a little bath, and then we came back out, and we went right back <laughs> in again. <laughs> like, they don't. So I, I think it is meant to be interpreted to some degree. Mm-hmm. Mm. So um, what follows this is uh, OG Scion Breakfast, which uh, I super loved. Uh, my my 1.0 pals came in and had a very cute breakfast with me about um, what they wanted to do when we totally saved the world because they're so confident that we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, this is wrong. <laughs> Thancred says that he, wait, yeah, Thancred says he wants to travel the world and help people out, just travel around and, and help people out. And Urayan J asks if he can if he can come along with him and says, you know, I'm much better like blending in and looking normal now. And Thancred goes, that's cute. No, you're not. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, I still ship these two dads. <laughs> and if at some point they like canonically make them, make them a couple, I would be, they probably won't. Again, there's mm -hmm. many other things going into this, but like they haven't yet full out denied me and mm -hmm. they will be traveling together now, so. Uh, Yashola, meanwhile, it says she's still intent on finding a way across the rifts and mentions this to uh, Thancred and he's like, please don't make me cry right now. Mm -hmm. it was, um, it was, I do have to go ahead. I do have to really fast do a shout out for um, Lightweight Orianje which was also hilarious I just yes. want to toss that out there mm -hmm. really quick <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a precious little moment with oh, yes. basically the, the first characters that you meet that become so close to you through this journey and I loved it uh, then you go and you find your napping cuties my uh my good cop duo. I love them. They're just taking a nap together. And uh, there's a little a scene where well, Cryo walks up on us and reminds us not to give up on our happiness, which is very sweet. This is all obviously, let's wrap everything up before we go to the big time evil fighting place. Um, or, you know, why all do the you death guys, flags. Yes. Why do you guys <laughs> think Alice gets so mad that we caught her napping? Like, why? It's a moment of vulnerability. Yeah. You know, she's supposed so. to always be at the ready. Yeah. She's always trying to prove herself to us. We haven't done that. Like, the Warrior of Light wouldn't fall asleep we on the totally job when we're saving did. the world. Right next to them. And the only yeah, reason she doesn't know is because Kral woke us up first. Ha <laughs> ha. Exactly. That's what I thought. That's what I got from it, why she was um, so mad. But, like, we did the same thing. Yeah. I'm just like, girl, why are you mad? It's no big deal. Take a nap. You're tired. <laughs> The only thing that that I could think of was like, don't tell my brother I was napping with a boy. No, it, it's we're myth. You know, she wants to be that myth too. She and Graha, 
are living up to us. We don't fall asleep on the job that they know of. That's what I got it as. If it wasn't us there, she probably wouldn't have been mad. That's just the uh, way it is. We saw her doing it. I'm told from chat that don't don't see my sleeping face is a trope from anime. Yeah, that too. It's a big it's a big Japanime thing. I used to watch anime once upon a time. <laughs> um, and then you have a uh, an interaction with Alphano and Estinian out front mm-hmm. of the uh, Livia Manor. Alphano brought Estinian to chat with his mama because. She's like, I would like to meet your famous friend. And he's like, yes, mama, of course. And Estinian was embarrassed because he's Estinian. This is so cute, though. Mm-hmm. Like, this Very little cute. moment is so precious. Um, I mean, especially, too, because, okay, so they're actually in the chat earlier. Uh, there was a bit of discussion about Estinian as a character. Mm. And, like, the role he plays in Ishgard and having been a dragoon and, you know, some of the not-so-good things that he had done as far as crimes against dragonkind or things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but there's a lot of complexity in the Dragon Song War between both sides, right? And uh, that's a whole other thing we could do an entire, entire episode about. But um, Estinian himself, for those who may not know, um, lost his entire family and, like, village to a dragon attack. And that's part of what inspired him to, uh, one, be consumed with vengeance, never-endingly, much like Nidhogg, which makes him a parallel to Nidhogg's wrath just on the side of elven kind, Elizen kind. Um, but two, to also join the war efforts to protect others and um, to eventually become a dragoon. And in many ways, I think, I mean, there's so many ways you could read into that, right? Like trying to destroy the thing that, I mean, he probably still bore a lot of terror and fear. Mm-hmm. Like when you're little, or you're like, a, you're young and you go through this and you lose your entire family. I don't know how young exactly he was, um, but like that's something that is traumatic and obviously stayed with him for a very long time. And eventually, um, allowed him to one fall prey to Nidhogg, who was consumed with a similar wrath, um, but two to also understand Nidhogg mm-hmm. and find a place where the two of them could heal, which is really again a beautiful story, and I love it. Um, so it's especially great with this moment with Astinian because he lost all his family, and then he kind of ended up with a family that he didn't necessarily want mm-hmm. at first. <laughs> Maybe a little bit because he also feared losing them again. He didn't know how to reconnect in that kind of way. Um, and you see him start to embrace it in this expansion. And right. it's so cute, that awkward, like, here's my little adopted brother that I have. And now we're going to go have tea with mom, I guess. <laughs> it's like, I love it because um, I just imagine that to be welcomed into a family is something that to him as a character bears like additional just I don't mm-hmm. know, deep significance that uh, was probably very emotional, even though he's grumpy and he mm-hmm. doesn't add on to it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's important for them to show that um, before what he does in Ultima Fool as well. They're just mm-hmm. like, hey, hey, remember, this guy over here, this grumpy man, he's, he's, he's had some character growth. Put that in your head. Put it in there. <laughs> um, so after we see all of these, these cute little interactions with uh, the people we know we're taking with us to Ultima Fool, we also get a weird little vignette with Xenos. So it should... Mm-hmm. Probably have led on to some people that maybe he's going to end up there too. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's not a terrible scene with him. I would have liked to have seen about a thousand more scenes where he's <laughs> actually thinking like this. He goes to the place where he was Shinryu, Shinryu and he battled you. And he remembers... Basically, there's there's a dialogue option where you can say, 
hey, you don't have to, we don't have to do this. We could be friends. And he remembers this. He asks himself, what is it that you sought in me? And that thing, at least if you pick the option, was you mm -hmm. offered him friendship. He remembers that because of what Alice said. So it was, it was kind of, kind of nice to see him actually having those thoughts. And like I said, I wish there had been a bunch more of that. Right. I would have Can made him a much more worthwhile character. What are you going to say? Oh, just that we could have used it. Yeah, honestly. a lot more. Yeah. I mean, you can answer that question a lot of ways. What is it that you sought in me? It could be, you know, that he has always sought something from us. Mm -hmm. So he assumes we must do the same to him. It could be that your warrior of light literally sought nothing from him and just wanted him to just go away and stop being so awful or die. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it could be that you liked the challenge and you too were looking for, you know, somebody that measured up to you. It could be that you saw a like-hearted person in the spirit of unification and camaraderie. Um, you wanted to reach out to somebody that you perceived must maybe questionably be suffering in some way. Um, it is hard for me with this because like you said, I feel like these beats lead into him in Ultima Thule. And yet I also feel like they are far too few, far too scattered, and far too interpretable Late. in a sense. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like, I, I get, I, we'll get to it. We'll get yeah. to it. That could be an entire episode. I think the final, the final beat could be an entire episode we unto itself. But yes. are not even quite to Ultima Thule. We are over two hours in, so we yeah. gotta get oh, going. I know. I know. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, we, we do need to talk about the dedication uh, of the ship, though. Fortunate uh, dedicates the ship to Luiswa who uh, is the one who brings the initial shard of Dalamud to Charlian that they begin developing the ship from. That's why they name it the, the Ragnarok, because it was a, from the Ragnarok-class ship. Um, it's also a Ragnarok something or other type of shard thingy, which is in here, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to look it up. I'm just going to let you guys know that that's a thing. What's up? This is just a two-second thing, because we. I know we have to hurry, but really mm -hmm. fast, I actually think that this moment is, like, also a really important one, because Fortuno was so, so, so wholeheartedly against mm -hmm. his father going to deal with this calamity, um, and that's what we know caused, like, a major split between them. There's, like, a really old sh uh, short story that even goes into this and, yep. and reads into, like, the twins a little bit more with it as well. Um, so for Fortuno in this moment to not only have, like, if his father had never done what he did, they would not have been... You know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah. sure, yes, Dalamud probably would have exploded. But I mean, one, everybody would be dead anyway. Yeah. But two, the fact that he chose to go out into the world and to get involved in this and then brought it back, like, literally became a part of the salvation for all existence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So for Fortuno to, like, almost acknowledge that in this mm -hmm. very kind of metaphorical way and, like, dedicate the ship to his father in this final act almost of reconciliation and realization that perhaps his stance had not always taken into account all that it should have for many for many years, mm -hmm. I think is a, a great touch. Yeah. And he mentions this earlier too, when he's apologizing to the kids, like he, he says he uh, chose to never keep them away from uh, their grandfather on the off mm -hmm. chance that he would do something that could save them. And oh, look, he did. Yeah. Um, the thing that really gets me here, and I'm, I'm just gonna say this briefly because I've said it before, what a terrible name for a ship to save the mm -hmm. world. To save the universe, in fact. Ragnarok yeah. is the end of the world. <laughs> what a terrible name. Just name it the Luisa. Name it after your grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Don't name it the Ragnarok. Ugh. I'm done. You know why they had to. I, I wanted to name it Daybreak. Yeah. That'd be, 
Oh, that would have been so There's so many other good options. Even name it the freaking Phoenix something. You know, I thought about that. Do you think Charlian knows about Louis Swan and the Phoenix? I don't. Yeah, because yeah, because nobody knows, right? Yeah, because they swore not to say anything. No, but like, if they if it 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 would have been. Kind of oh yeah, it would better because they made the ship from another ship, right? No, because it, I I felt the same way. I was like, it should have been the Phoenix, but then I thought about it and I was like, wait, they don't even know that crap. But if they had named it that because they built a ship from another ship, which makes sense, mm-hmm. it could have been it could have affected the other characters. Like, <gasps> yeah, oh my gosh, he's been a Phoenix in so many ways. Ah, so we, many better names they could have given this freaking ship. Anyway, that do the eight thing, you know. Ah, so the. <laughs> The Lafrits have at some point reached out to the tribe leaders and uh, they show up because uh, they're going to do some some summoning, except they're going to do it in conjunction with the creation magic that the Lafrits still possess and know how to use. Um, the Lafrits explained that uh, original creation magic did not incorporate the desire to change someone else's will. And that is something that the Asians put into their explanation uh, for original summoning so that it would make the primals able to temper people. So when we summon these primals, these nice creation magics with no mean will in them, they won't temper anybody. We're not about to totally screw ourselves over. And that uh, they're going to summon the primals via the leftover aether and the mother crystal. And then the primals are just going to zip right over to the, the ship to fuel it. Won't that be so useful? Yes. I hate this. Do you? This is the part of of this part that I was like, this is far too corny. Like, especially the dialogue. Oh, God, the dialogue. Uh, oh, I my God. <laughs> no, I Listen, mean the dialogue I... with Garuda. I'm just yes. like, no, stop. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, okay, so I will, I will. Garuda, very corny, yes. But I have mm. loved Susano since forever. Sure. Just to see him being so joyful, flying through the sky, coming across this grumpy bird lady, being like, shut the hell up, it's time for revels! Yeah. I loved that so much. I, I like, too, that they're kind of their pure forms, in mm-hmm. a sense, because we know that at least with the Asians, like, taught two peoples about summoning they had basically just like written in a bad line of code that was like oh mm-hmm. yeah and also it'll just uh it consume you and like i, th- I think we maybe find this out later i don't i don't remember um uh it might have been in ultimate where we like hear mm-hmm. him talk about it um but i liked that this oh no no, no it is before this because yeah. they they summon them using this new version mm-hmm. that doesn't have the risk of uh tempering Yep. Uh, so, like, I kind of liked actually seeing them, I guess, in a sense, in purely embodying what they were supposed to, free of strife and fear. Like, I guess it's corny. It's corny. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'll, you know what, I'll give you that. But at the same time, it was the first time that, like, the tribes had really been starting to be acknowledged as people. And then yeah. their faith could be used in such a way that, again, it was, like empowering as opposed to something that was responding to like great tragedy and horror and yeah. you know fear and i like everything about it other than that scene where they're talking to each other like when they're if they had been sight unseen i had been fine so there's a a bit here um where i speculated a little and i think other people have too that uh because original creation magic did not have that ill will stuff uh it's likely that zodiac didn't temper but then there's also a note here from i believe moose if you'd like to talk about that sure (laughs) um yeah this part i think is gonna have to be 
there are so few of them in Endwalker. Like throughout 14, there's always been ambiguous lines that cause people to make like make a conclusion. And then before you know it, half the fandom thinks it's canon. It's being referenced as support everywhere. And this is probably one of the ones that's the only ones that's going to be an Endwalker is um, Living Way refers to that. If you summon Zodiac, you'd feel like a little tug. And there, uh, when people see what they want to see, they're like, I knew it! The Asians weren't tempered! Aha! And like they were just feeling like a little tug. Um, this is Living Way doing their like comedic minimalization thing, minimization thing. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at it in all the other languages, it's not that line, it's not a little tug. So I'm gonna try to explain what's going on because mm -hmm. it's a it's 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 for the deep lore mongers. It's not yes, like yes. a casual throwaway line. It's for people who would know that this scene is goofy if you know mm -hmm. all of the lore and that that line needs to be there. So I want to like it, to start with it. You've got to go to Emmett Selk in Shadowbringers because he's the one who starts this. He says straight up. When you summon something, you come into symbiosis with its essence, right? So I, I forget what language he uses the word symbiosis mm -hmm. with, but he's very, very clear about it. Like you come into symbiosis with the ether of the thing you're summoning. And if the psychic will, the mental will of that thing is much stronger than yours, you will be pulled under its will. You will become part of that thing in a way an extension of that thing and that zodiac was so powerful that not even the ancients could escape this that by coming into symbiosis with zodiac they were all tempered by him which is not a little tug this is mm -hmm. living way is making fun of it by calling it a little tug now there wasn't that desire to spread and consume and temper everyone else. So I don't, I, I think you're right in saying that Zodiac probably just wasn't like wandering around town, like, <sighs> but <laughs> yeah. Elit I don't think he had to either because Elitibus was the thing that all of that was projected onto. Elitibus was the thing that became the thing that tempered everyone. And I think that when your one job is to consider all of the outcomes and lead people toward the best solution like to to lead them forward that it's the creepiest and ominous line in all of final fantasy 14 history the short story where elitibus walks out of zodiac and says fear not for you're going to make the right decision and i'm going to see it mm -hmm. through like knowing what he has become that is the creepiest thing in this whole game but I think you're right that zodiac wasn't walking around tempering things so I think that that's what they're saying is that like what living way is highlighting here is that the things they're summoning are not going to have a mental will that is heavier than all mm -hmm. of the summoners anymore. So they can resist the summoning here because they're using real creation magics and you don't have that baked in tempering thing. And it's not going to pull them under because it's not as big as Zodiac, but they're not saying that the ancients were just normal people who felt a little tough. Yeah. I just wanted to highlight that. That's it. No, I love that. That's amazing. That is so good. It's important and it to know. Away. I mean, like, there's also something to then possibly be said about, like, those who do the summoning and or the actual, like you were saying, the force and desire to convert others, right? Mm -hmm. Like, 
So I think, you know, with what we might see with his context in that line, it would make sense to me that, like, yes, everything you just said, 100%, and that, like, this thing that the Asians are, you know, kind of put in was this, like, drive to, like, consume and convert and, like, you know, um, an innate property of the nature of a creature, kind of like how we see as they troubleshoot on Alpis, right? You know, like, mm -hmm. does it eat just enough or does it go wild right. and eat literally anything? Does it, you know, does it do these things? Does it behave by these, you know, you know, logical, natural behaviors that still keep things in balance? Um, it does seem like they could affect that kind of natural property, but that those, like, also, like you were saying, doing the summoning um, have a almost... It is tempering, but it's mm. like two different ways that tempering are employed in a sense, right? Like right. the effect is that, yes, you lose your will, you are tempered, but that like when you are doing the summoning, if that thing's will is so great, it overpowers you versus right. like the act of going out and trying to consume and temper others. It's like de facto tempering versus on purpose, you know, this is what they are doing. They're trying to spread whatever it is, their crusade against whatever versus it's just because it's so much stronger than me and i'm surprised they didn't bring it up in the in this section but like there was also kind of that baked in flaw of some primals are just leaky like yes. just sta standing next to them is corrupting mm -hmm. um it's so like, we like know that there was a, right there was yeah. a lot of deliberately flawed stuff mm -hmm. in the in the magics that were given by the Asians. um and I, like the only reason I thought about this so much is because I was struggling hard with how Fan Daniel could be a part of this story and not be tempered. And mm -hmm. that was driving me nuts. Like the explanation we got for tempering, um, I was fairly sure I had a good grip on it, what Emmett Selk said. And it wasn't until this scene at the end of the game that I felt confident in that, that I really did have a good grip on it because of Fan Daniel. Um, but I, I, ironically, the thing that I brought up as making it so difficult for Fan Daniel to not be tempered was addressed by Amon, which makes this so brilliant. Like when we did Eden, that's what made me confident that I had a good read on Emmett Salk because when Gaia started to remember who her ancient self was, the glyphs started ble bleeding through. She called herself a, a, a servant of Zodiac. Like that tempering seemed to be bleeding back through into the identity that was coming back as if that wavelength was still in his grasp. So it was always on my mind, how couldn't Amon be in this position? Um, how couldn't Fan Daniel be in this position? And when Fan Daniel comes forward and says, "Yes, I'm the Fan Daniel, except I'm not. I'm Amon. I just have his memories. I'm not that dude. He's not me." I'm like, "Oh, this is how he did it. This is how he escaped it." So, like, the whole tempering thing was just—it's—it's it's for the—it's for the deep lore people who are paying attention, mm -hmm. being like, "That doesn't make sense. That's a retcon." And yeah, it is, but they baked it in really well. Yeah, agreed. All right, so uh, the preparation of the Aether concluded. Formigo and Brita's parents give us portable teleportation devices and tell us if you click one of them, all, however many of them, eight, eight of them are going to go off. Uh, so mm -hmm. if one person is in danger and decides that everybody needs to leave, you can basically get rid of everybody, bing, bam, boom, you're safe again. Um... If that's not foreshadowing, I don't know what is. 
hello, here is your nose, boop. Uh, and then we have the silly conversation that you may hate or may not like. <laughs> mm-hmm. May hate or may like. A... <laughs> um, there is... what Question number one we had on our top ten questions to ask, to have Endwalker uh, answer, sorry, was what's the presence at Silver Seer Lake slash the primal explosion? And this scene right here uh, recreates it in pretty much its entirety. The whole, like, explosion thing over uh, Charlian. That mm-hmm. definitely happens. All the shit flows out of it. I know you have something to say about this one, Moose. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that it... I do have something to say, but it's that I don't know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It really I, didn't... Yeah, exactly. Like chat says, I, it, it recreates it and answers nothing. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's going on, even. Is I think it was... Uh, a mirror of the scene without necessarily an explanation of the scene. So I think that that was them saying like, we're going to pull in all these old scenes. We remember we're going to like homages, loving homages to where we've come from. But at the same time, I think that um, silver tear lakes on a back burner somewhere Um, that I don't even know if square Enix knows if the presence is still there. So we might never know necessarily what the primal explosion was supposed to be it makes uh, me think maybe i hope it's we do. not still there because mm-hmm. theoretically yeah. this this primal explosion came from a bunch of aether that was dissipated via five thousand billion little tiny primal mans mm-hmm. i i believe that like at the time what made the most sense was that what we were seeing was because every now and then we see something in the game as a visual metaphor mm-hmm. and I've always, until I have a better option, I've been making sense of it by saying that was a visual metaphor for the massive seal of Aether being released at Silver Tear Lake. And that Aether responding to the prayers of the Beast Tribes and that that's where all these primals were going to come from and we'd have to go and clean them up. And that's what mm-hmm. I saw it as. It's just a symbolism of that moment. Um, and that was before we learned that there was something under Silver Tear Lake that did something. Mm-hmm. But again, we live in a world where that might no longer be the case. And just because I have nothing else to meme about anymore, all of my wishes have come true. The only <laughs> thing I have left to meme about is let's fight the presence at Silver Tear Lake. <laughs> let's bring it back. The presence lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely felt like that. We need a hashtag, have... a new one. We do. Yeah. It, it felt like that could have been a like, oh, we haven't forgotten about it. Or it felt maybe a little bit more to me in general, like, we do know it's there. We're going to give you a little something, but we really have no intention on it ever like <laughs> manifesting that. I mean, it's unfortunate because it is in the lore, right? And at least from what we know, I believe through interviews, that particular entity or, or presence was going to be part of the culmination of the like base game, like part of the finale and climax of the base game. But you know, when, when you see the game that it, it failed and all this mm-hmm. stuff went horribly wrong and Yoshida just had to step in and um, it was something where I believe they've stated before in the past, you know, yeah, that was maybe planned, but I don't know if we'll use it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a story they have to tell if they don't want to, to be honest. But again, it is something where we were leading into that and there are parts of it still in the like, in the canon of the world if you go back that far. Although any players that don't know anything about that are going to have no idea about what that was all about other than, you know, 
the fact that we have is it the Agrius that was the ship like the Agrius mm -hmm. is in Silver Silver Tear Lake and Midgard Stormer is there and there's a bit of information about the fight um in 2.x and on but like nothing again that has really established that as an ongoing big thing they're going to explore so I kind of hope they do because I do like just seeing how they roll with everything and yeah. it was there and like it is something that I think they could use and would be a big thing for a lot of players but I couldn't quite read if this was mm -hmm. just them you know cattily being like ha 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 yeah but we won't do it but like here's a little thing a little toss back to our history or if that was something again where they're going to be like actually one day this will all come full circle and this will be a part of it <laughs> I was like oh Okay, well, I, I, I can know. only hope for that. I I don't mm -hmm. want I don't want this little this little tidbit, this little hint at what it could have been to just be some sort of cheap. Haha, we're mirroring mirroring stuff right. again. Tee -hee. I, I don't want that. I really think if they want to, we can have the answer in Pandemonium. We could have the answer in Myth of the Realm. We could have the answer anytime in Endwalker from now on if they wanted to. Could have just As been long... La Habrea's holding facility for a bunch of concepts, and then it blew up. Who knows? <laughs> like, who knows? It really could be. All right. Well, we powered up the ship and we got the mm -hmm. hell out of Dodge. Um, to Ultima Thule. As we approach. Guys, we got to Ultima Thule. Oh, my gosh. Um, Three anyway, hours later. It's funny yeah. because Ultima Thule is like the furthest conceptual place yes. that you can get to. Uh -huh. And it was the furthest away from us at the beginning of the Lorecast. So. <laughs> I love how uh, the, the title of this document outline is still parts one and two. <laughs> yeah. I changed, I changed the top, We're down here in though. part four. The top actually says Lorecast 17, which is wrong. Part 1, 2, 3, and 76. There's a lot of things wrong with this document. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's very long. I think it's 17 yeah. pages. It's, it's real long, you guys. Keep it, keep it though. I'm going to use it as the yeah. uh, as the the structure outline for my, <laughs> my summary. Some yeah. portions of this I feel like you could write a term paper off of. Absolutely, uh, yeah. But anyway, as we approach Ultima Thule, Living Way tells us that uh, that area, that uh, coordinate that Heidelin gave us via the crystal is just a patch of emptiness. So they don't really know what it is, and we're not going to know till we get there. And right before we get there, Midian just kind of shows up. She's like, oh, hello. How's it going? Um, and the ship, the ship starts freaking out. And... This is such a, a dumb thing, but all of the little uh, like warding flashes look like an upside down seven, upside down seven E. But I keep I, the whole time I kept reading it as Lolly, which is what she is. <laughs> so dumb. I was wondering where this was going. Yeah, it's like oh, it's the Lolly warning. Watch out, your Lolita <laughs> has jumped on board. Oh no. Yep. Um. <laughs> So she attacks, basically, and cuts off everyone's breath. She's like, ah, oh, hello, I see what you're doing here. Um, we're not doing that. It's time for you to stop living. Uh, and Fancred is the one who manages to stumble toward her, um, which makes him the first target for what she plans to do to everybody, which is unmake them. He straight up unmakes Fancred right th then and there. But before he disappears, he uh, basically cries out with, that tiny shred of him that's left, uh, it says survive. And his uh, wish is stronger than the despair of Ultima Thule itself and gives the area shape. Ultima Thule only exists in a physical form because of Thancred. So mm. people are not allowed to pick on my good boy anymore. <laughs> 
Ugh. I mean, it's it's wild to think of Ultima Thule and Dynamis and to know that, yeah, you know, the thoughts affect all of the shapes of it. And, you know, there's a lot of, I'm not going to say hate, but dislike of this part because the Scions are dropping off one by one and we're getting to that. But everybody knew that they're not really dying. And I'm like, so who cares? What does that does that reduce it in any way that if you anything, might think just... they're going to come back? Yeah, if anything, it just sings, chimes with the, the theme, hope. You hope yeah. that they will be back. You know that they will be back. We right. we discussed this a bit when we were doing it live. Um, because I had actually, I had oversimplified the foreshadows at this point. Mm. I th I thought that what we had the Azem crystal for, where they're like, you just look into your heart and you'll summon all your friends. Um, mm. I thought that's what this was. That it was going to be as easy as they show that they're willing to die for the cause and that they have faith this is going to work out and this is the victorious end so that they're mm -hmm. safe to do this. It doesn't matter if we know they're going to be back. How do we know they're going to be back? Because there's eight of them. Because mm -hmm. there's eight of them and it's an important story point. That's how we know. <laughs> uh, and I like that was my reading it wrong. I thought we were going to get to the M, the end. I was going to be the only one left. I was going to be like, Haha, sucker, hold up the Azem stone. They were all going to pop back up and then we'd mm -hmm. all hit our eight buttons after we won. And that yeah. would be it. And so I, I get we discussed this a lot just because, yeah, the important thing is that they have faith and they're willing to die for it at this point. Mm -hmm. and, they, and it gives them it gives them all an opportunity to say something. It gives them all an opportunity to say what they would say at the end. Mm hmm. To yeah. push you along further. You have to get through. Yeah, I, I, it's, it is, I can understand why people critique it in one sense. Um, because I, mm -hmm. I agree in this, in that I don't actually think any of these emotional beats for me were truly undermined. Like the actual sacrifices each of the characters were willing to make and the dialogue and the way they were written in each of these moments to me was deeply affecting and was powerful, regardless of whether or not I thought they were coming back. I think for me, the places where I felt some of that, like, oh, hmm, uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know uh, about that with, like, regards to the loophole that we had literally, like, you know, with us the whole time, was the fact that I didn't always know if the between dialogue, it felt like it couldn't decide whether or not it really wanted to convince me they were all dead forever. Mm -hmm or not and like you know people like Thancred died and i actually i had a moment where i was like they're all like yeah he sacrificed himself to be here okay let's go hang out with the dragons then and i was like right i felt <laughs> like they needed to be more upset about Thancred. there are only small portions of time where certain characters have certain reactions to other characters dying but like urianji kind of goes where's Thancred?" and that's all we get <laughs> yes. And like, to me, it felt like that would have been an incredibly devastating moment for them. I mean, they're all there and they're all prepared to die. So in a sense, they knew that mm -hmm. something could happen. But for something like this to happen in this way, it feels like that's where I can understand where I think some of the critique of this section sure. where people are like, I didn't buy into what they were trying to sell me. I agree in that sense because I couldn't quite read whether or not they wanted me to truly believe it or they wanted me to just be like, well, we all have faith that really it will work out and everything will be fine, you know, because it was like, it's tough in that I think it, when you are setting up this kind of no win scenario where people are making sacrifices and you're the last one, a lot of times that hinges on selling what it means to truly be alone, what it means to truly be the last one standing, what it means to have those before you sacrifice. 
So like, it is something where I can understand the critique of it, but I still think this last zone was so well done that overall, like I, I pushed that aside. You know, yeah. I was like, these moments are still really deeply emotionally resonant and the zone itself is mm -hmm. so cool. And it's such a lore buffet. There's so many interesting but things in the zone. I think if they would have taken the time to grieve, to actually show the, the, the wailing and the gnashing of teeth of everyone dying, then I think I would be with the people who said, well, then nothing happened at the end because it would have been grief for the sake of convincing you. And I think it's such a knife's edge that they had to do narratively. Mm. And so they That's did fair. the Final Fantasy thing. When Palom and Porom, I'm not going to spoil anything, but you kind of recover from that pretty quickly in, in that game. Galif, I mean, there's, there's so many, right? This is Final Fantasy. Once again, we're in the going to space to kill a god part of Final Fantasy. So I was like, whatever. Space Fox, I chose to believe that's why they started with Thancred. Yeah, it was like Thancred had his perfect death in mm -hmm. Shadowbringers, and then he just showed up a scene later, like, Oh, hey, what's up? What were you doing? So, <laughs> like, I feel like by starting with Thancred, you already know they're gonna be fine. <laughs> and I mean, like, we're still grieving for Isail and Orshafont and Moonjita yeah. every 20 minutes. So, I mean, there's no way they're, you know, all just gonna be like, oh no. Anyway. Yeah. And like, so <laughs> I just, I, I saw as soon as it was Thancred that was the first to go, I'm like, everybody's gonna be fine. We're gonna be good. <laughs> I was in the exact same boat. And it was yeah. okay too, because like, I'll be honest, I don't like when games just kill. Mm -hmm. all the characters right. just to be edgy and dramatic and i mean like there are times where deaths are really impactful and really meaningful do i think every death that we've had in 14 like we were talking about with moonbrita always pulls that off in the moment no but like there are moments that are incredibly impactful if you think like horse i still and that'll read differently to everybody mm -hmm. so people might not have cared about it but like um i think that again i don't mind if a game tends to let characters live more than not so long as the narratives those characters continue to tell are interesting and have good payoff and a good range of emotion and um i mean yeah so i've i felt the same thankward went and they didn't have much of a reaction and i went oh everybody's gonna be fine then but it still didn't save me from crying my way through this entire zone <laughs> so, mm -hmm. there was that um i do have to ask all of you how many of you immediately knew we were on at least something relating to the dragon star oh yeah yeah oh yeah mm. i i gave it like the space to be wrong because right. so much has gone crazy in this expansion that like i don't feel confident in anything in this point in the story <laughs> so i right. gave it the space to be wrong but at the same time <gasps> where are we yes. yeah you know like i so same, i straight up same. thought we were there mm. yeah i was like <gasps> Is her is her thing with Bob? Is it built on the Dragon Star? What the fuck? No. Mm -hmm. But there's part of it here, like it's a memory shadow shade thing of it. That's cool too. Uh, the name yeah. that they chose for just the areas of the zone, Ostracon, is a porcelain shard that they would write on just stories and just let them go. These are the last stories of the broken parts of these civilizations. Like literally, like I'm I. I can't like this is where me looking into the words made me cry the first time. Absolutely. I was like, wait a second. Hold on now. It's so good. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Um, 
Yeah, I, I got this was a bit of the dragon star mm -hmm. myself too because you all know me. I'm on the lookout for beautiful, powerful women. Yeah, hey, you like dragons and dragons. Yeah. Yes, and so I saw the first dragon and went, "Oh my gosh, it's got to be the dragon star." But even so, a lot of the stuff on it. I mean, there's some really interesting, like moving things. I mean, mm -hmm. everything from even just the way that they refer to, you know, like um, the wind being this almost living thing that mm -hmm. you know back when the winds flowed free and the dialogue about that um to get even like a sneak some peek at how the dragons lived before coming to Heidelin or like what their culture might have been like and mm -hmm. the fact that they were so fierce in these hunters but they had this society um I've heard a lot of interesting discussions about the fact that a lot of the landscape is a little bit jagged and I think from a design standpoint they may have very well just done that to like help you into it that these two are related because much of what we see of Dravania um, mm -hmm. is also kind of like that where you have these like jagged peaks and it almost reminds me of like um oh like Flint or Shale that has like bits and pieces of it mm -hmm. kind of like you know it's like craggy yeah craggy yeah so uh but I've also heard some people theorize that possibly it is something about how the dragons almost terraform their environments and I was like oh that's interesting yeah sure why not like we'll all get in there um but even stuff down to the fact that, like, there were, like, you know, hatchlings being born that were being born with, like, distorted ether and that, like, their parents didn't recognize them as, like, dragons and were, mm -hmm. like, killing them. Like, oh, there are some really striking moments in this zone. Yeah. You know, them talking about the wind and it dying has parallels to the kind of dark spots in the, on Etheris during the end of days, right? The the ether not flowing. That's what I took it as, you know, as as they would talk about the wind of life as wind, you know what I mean? But yeah, it's just, there's so much here that we are not going to get into at all. But <laughs> it's so good. Talk to everybody. Do all the quests. So uh, if we didn't sort of catch the hint when Hithlodius uh, decided to talk to us through our, our water ether dream, he also picks up the narrative with Emmett Selk. They're both narrating for us at this point, and it's mm -hmm. super cool. Um, so yes, we, somewhere on this point, realize this is not actually the Dragon Star, but the memory of the star. I guess Median actually just straight up tells us that. She's like, oh no, this is a place where, you know, the memories of the old dead stars I murdered come to show up and be. Uh, she explains what she did to Thancred, and that we only draw breath because his soul still exists. And at that point, if you didn't think that things were going to be all right before, then you're like, oh, all right, well, mm -hmm. we know what to do with that. We've moved souls around before, no biggie. Uh, so we take Medion's advice, and we try and sue the Dragon Shades. It wasn't really her advice, but it kind of was, and we're just like, mm -hmm. hey, so life's not so bad here. You don't have to be despair. Because basically what she tells us is you, you can't move forward because emotions are blocking you. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, well... We'll get rid of those emotions. We'll we'll soothe the despair, and we don't exactly have luck. But this is where each character sort of comes into their own. Mm -hmm. Each specific character has to go at each specific point. Um, they mention uh, when Astinian talks to the dragon who seems to be in the deepest despair, whose name is I'll End, by the mm -hmm. way. Um, the the dragon talks about the the war that they've been in and how. They're tired of it. And Asinian says, you know, there's there's some of your people who ended up on my planet and they're totally fine. They there's they rule the skies, I think he is what he says. And uh Alan says, I smell their blood on you. They're still at war, aren't they? And I mean, 
Yesenia can't really lie about it, so he... The dragon, even through all this, uh, still sees his people at war, even the ones that are living. So that, that feeling of despair because of this cycle that they can't end is still there. However, Estinian has been part of that cycle of war and was a key part of stopping it. So he is the key emotion or understands the key emotion here to counteract what is keeping that despair in place from that dragon. And because of that, he is able to cancel out the bird tornado that Meteon calls up <laughs> from this despair. It's a bird tornado. Let's not it's mince space, yes. <laughs> and uh, because he understands that emotion, gives himself up and clears the path for everyone else. And this happens for each tier that we move through. Mm-hmm. This is such, I mean, again, talking about just characters having those full circle moments, like with Astinian, we get so many little moments. And um, this one here at the end, I mean, confronting even the legacy of what he did to to the dragons. And I, you can only imagine the, um, the anger, guilt, regret, uh, and yet justification in the moment. Because again, it's like both sides were both contributing to this conflict, mm-hmm. even though there was an act that instigated it um, generations before, right? Um, kind of tying into this theme again that like there are certain things in our world that cannot always be avoided. Conflict is being is kind of one of them. There will be conflict in some way, shape, or form. Um, but realizing that like how we navigate that, whether that be literal blows that are exchanged or you know um, greater conflicts of culture, society, people that there can be a way forward that you can like move beyond just these cycles of grief and rage and um, antagonism. And because he himself has seen that, like you said, it almost cancels out this Mm -hmm. energy and like creates an emotional way forward. And I think he returns the wind, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. To the, Mm -hmm. to the dragons, like the wind beneath their wings kind of moment, which is so great. Like, I love it. Um, Which helps show the way forward. He lets them fly. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, (laughs) I have to move on before I get all sappy. I think what what the dragon actually says is, uh, we tire of war, uh, and then I skipped ahead a little to uh, the indignity, the shame of it is too much to bear. So, Mm -hmm. Sinian's like, I get it, but you can break that cycle, and you can accept that that shame. You can get over it. Mm -hmm. Such a a good boy. Why, Why do they gotta kill all my good boys right in a row? So yeah, he he restores the wind and they follow that path. And again, it's a very brief moment of regret amongst the Scions. There's something very tangible from Alphino in particular. Uh, Right. You you actually see the the pairs, like the sets of them sort of uh, that disappear slash have the most uh, emotion for each other before we leave for Ultima Fool. So there's even a little bit of foreshadowing that. It is. Uh, someone, uh, oh, I say somebody in chat brought up a great point, which is that um, until Asinia does that sacrifice, apparently in that portion of Ultima Thule, there are no ether currents, and yeah. then afterwards the Ooh. ether currents pop up. That's mm-hmm. a cool. nice detail. Yeah, that is cool. But we do see Asinian and uh, Alphino are a set before we leave uh, Ultima Thule, so it's mm-hmm. I guess it's just poetic that Alphino is the one who has the the biggest reaction to his loss. So even though he knows, you know, I'm probably going to get them back. 
<laughs> Maybe. He hopes. Again, hope. His little sob. His little sob made me cry. God damn it. Oh, I know. It's very sad. I mean, because you can only imagine that the characters in this moment, if we're going to really buy into it, they hope but don't know whether or mm -hmm. not anyone's going to come mm -hmm. back, right? I mean, I also think that, like, again, their sacrifice, no matter how you read this entire zone, their sacrifice is done from a place of, I don't, I truly don't believe they expect that they will be resurrected, mm -hmm. which is part of what makes it a sacrifice as opposed to just like a thing I chose to do, <laughs> you know, um, right. because they are sacrificing their lives to something that they believe in. Um, so yeah, I mean, like seeing Alfino like respond to this when he hasn't had always, you know, a lot of people to look up to in his life and he cares so much about Astinian and Astinian is willing to make this sacrifice. And in a sense, um, you know, as opposed to the bloodshed that he spilled during the years of war, mm -hmm. uh, he is helping others and fighting for them. But in a way that again is, um, a whole new territory for him and that, paves the way for those he truly cares about. And um, I just, oh, it's just very good. Yeah. It got me too and emotionally. They have to keep on and they cannot despair because what happens here, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, you cannot give in to despair here no matter what you do. So to me, it just made sense that they were like, okay, look, we got to keep going. That's Not the only, only that, thing that's gotten us here. They don't know how long their friends are going to last. They don't know how long that yeah. emotion that they've imbued into the areas will keep the way clear. You can't stop. And, and they, they also don't know like how long the souls will stay semi whole. They may at some point dissipate, and then they can't save them. Mm -hmm. That's a great point about the despair. I almost wish they had reiterated it yes. at the start of the zone, so that you really felt that tension of like yeah. the group wanting to react but like not being able to. That's a really mm. good point. That's true. We can't be sad because we'll just sort of disappear <laughs> and or yeah. turn into a monster and kill our friends. Yeah. That's actually a really good point, yeah. So they move on to the next uh, area, which is the memory of Deneb III, the dead star of the Aya. That's right, Aya. Uh, the first thing that happens here, I guess first, first big thing, is Urianje pulls you and Graha specifically aside. Why the two of you? I am not sure. Um, but he suggests that Median bars your way with the most heartfelt emotions of despair for the people whose stars you're on. So uh, you should be looking for the people who want to die the most. The people who want to just cease to be. Uh, this in and of itself is, of course, very suspicious. We're like, Urianje, why are you telling us this? Why do you specifically need to make sure we know this information right here at this right point in time? But I think we all know why. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, the Aya described to us what brought their civilization to ruin, which was they discovered that the universe was expanding and eventually uh, all the thermal energy will be too far away from itself and everything will freeze. Ah, uh, yes, the classic fantasy trope of taking the heat death of the universe yes. and yes. turning it into a fun little setting. Uh, yes. I, this is the, the end of this is so sci fi and I love it. Anyway. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I also love the idea with the AR, right? That they were once physical beings that transcended mm -hmm. their bodies. Mm. This part is dark. Like, yep. this is the part Absolutely. where I started seeing a lot of people say, like, hey, mental health warnings on this. And I mean, like, rightfully so. Um, and I will give one right now. Disclaimer, mental health disclaimer. Um, this zone overtly mentioned suicide multiple times mm -hmm. in a way that, like, again, I have never seen a game do. Like, 
they have transcended their physical bodies. They have become essentially immortal. They live in these little mind cluster things. Occasionally they emerge, but again, there's no real impetus and there's nothing really. And they know that the universe is going to die because of the heat death eventually. So like they really would rather just, they would love to die before then. And that like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That, uh, this like, Resignation? Oh, okay. It's not even resignation. It's like this this idealization of like of suicide. Oh, I, oh, I see. Where they are like, you know, this would be the best thing ever if we could experience this. <laughs> it is incredibly like, whew, it was pretty intense um, it, just in those moments. And then these greater discussions of real life scientific phenomena that I mean, yes. When you start learning about these things, I remember when I heard about there was some theory and it might be it's still really a thing where it was like one day, millions of years in the future, uh, Earth will be swallowed up by the sun and we'll all die. And I was like, that really bums me out. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I really maybe it won't happen in my lifetime. But wow, that really does make us feel pretty small and insignificant, insignificant and yeah. like what will even matter will, will any of us even matter that we existed or that any of our civilization existed um so again like these are much bigger philosophical and scientific debates that literally mm -hmm. people have been encountering and discovering and having to grapple with in this one zone let alone the discussion of of life and like whether or not you think it is better to live or die in that sense i mean holy cow there was a lot I, I think as someone who has grappled with that a lot, that I actually found myself kind of frustrated with them in a way. Because they seemed in case, like, how do you spend that long beforehand? Like, I can see where they're at now, but like, how do you not recognize that if life has a beginning and an end and has always had a beginning and an end, that the real value is the meaning you make of it, which is mm -hmm. part of the, the message of this game. Like, if it ends, it doesn't invalidate what came before. And I think I've had this discussion a lot in terms of games that have sad endings, games mm -hmm. where the thing that you thought you were fighting for doesn't happen. The journey still counts. The journey is what's important. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they couldn't find any meaning in their journey, no matter how long they extended it, so long as the end was still the end, I think frustrated me. Yeah. A lot. It's supposed um, to though. That's that's what's right. wrong with literally every world that's not ours, apparently. Right. They're because they up. haven't been sundered and they don't know about dynamis. Like that's what I I was I was I, I hate it and I really hope that that's not what they were trying to say. Is that because we were sundered and we let dynamis suffuse ourselves, we can feel that sort of like there's meaning in things, but I really don't want to look at it that way. Like that that's what I don't want them to be saying here. Like, oh, because they were deficient because they were all aether. No, that's not what I want. <laughs> I just see them as not having learned the number yeah. one lesson of immortality, which is that if you are immortal, your probability of ending up trapped somewhere you don't want to be for all eternity reaches 100%. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's interesting though is that in their case, and this is one part where okay, I'm actually a little bit sad Fusion's not with us here today on stream because Fusion hated this zone and everything mm -hmm. in it. And I love that. <laughs> and it gives me life. Like, I'm not going to even lie. Mm -hmm. It gives me life because I do think there will be a group of players that got to this point. And I mean, even just like, like you were saying, Moose, in those moments, some of these pictures they paint 
are so specifically like one one thread in all of this. You know what I mean? Like in a sense, they almost aren't supposed to be believably multidimensional. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. yet at the same time, because they are paralleled to our real world, like we know that our real world has far more nuance. And obviously the characters in this zone also know that, right? That it is not just this one thing that like, yes, if you are immortal and you have at your fingertips the ability to learn more, do more, see more, change more, like why fall into this lethargic nature? Mm-hmm. You know, like why just go, oh, well, that's it, I guess, you know? and. And yet, at the same time, each of these different places, in a way, is almost just one specific kind of mindset. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And it Mm -hmm. becomes far more abstract and metaphorical, in a way. It becomes um, an argument of almost, like, simplified philosophies. Yes, yes, yes. As opposed to, like, literally, this is what's happening. And in some places, it'll lose you. And in other places, it's like, this is so weird. And I love it. I don't, I've never seen this happen before in a game. (laughs) Heat death? They talked about heat Mm -hmm. death? Okay. And the valley possibly end in your own life? That's intense. (laughs) Like, but at the same time, um, I actually kind of love it because, um, I think, I don't know how else they could have done it. You know what I mean? Um, these are very much set up as a specific point and then a specific counter argument, mm-hmm. which we get yes. characters like Ishtola here at the end, who says like, hey, yes, if we know it ends, does that mean we should ever stop hungering to learn and know more? No. If we think we have it figured out, should we ever say that's it? No. If we, you know, and so you get this great back and forth if there will be conflict then should we continue forward like if all we want is peace but we know it may come at the cost of conflict then like does that mean peace isn't worth fighting for um like in this area you Mm -hmm. know there are so many greater talks with this and again i just want to say this zone was pretty dark so if any of you need support in any way shape or form we've been going through some dark years there are tons of mental health resources online um but i think there were themes in this area this this lethargic nature, this, you know, things are so awful, why not just, you know, we'll just succumb to it, or like, you know, it's things seem pointless, and it's all going to be useless in the end anyway, so like, I guess we live forever, but what use do we make of that life? Nothing? All right, well then might as well end it. Like, that is something that is a thought process people have at points in their lives. And there is no shame in it. It is a thing that can happen in this world and there are tools to navigate it. Um, But again, this was a pretty dark point. Did they have to massively simplify things in an abstraction of fantasy? Yes. But at the same time, I thought it was a really creative way to do it. Like, I thought this was a really creative and interesting thing. I was fascinated by the Aya and, this might have been one of the weaker points. I, I liked Ishtola's beat at the end here with Orianje, and I liked that he went with her, but I'll, mm-hmm. I'll pass it over to all of you, how you felt about that, too. Because um, this one felt maybe the shakiest of them all to <laughs> me, but in a way that I think was difficult to even begin to approach right. anyway, because this is one of the most complex parts of this zone, I think. Um, but it's interesting. I think his his was shaky. Hers made sense. Their, their downfall, their despair came about because of their knowledge, their fear was because of their knowledge and and mm-hmm. she has such a, a lust for knowledge that she was the only one who could 
combat that. But I guess it wasn't enough on her own because Uriange's thing here was, I will always support my friends. And mm-hmm. somehow that is what played into him being necessary there. It, I, I yeah. did. I liked that. I liked that that went so well with what we've seen from him this expansion. Like, no matter what people ask of him, his his bottom line is, "Will this help my friends?" Yes, I'll do it. But yeah. I didn't see I didn't see that from the Aya. I didn't see the opposite of that from the Aya. And maybe maybe it's there if you look deeper. Maybe maybe it's more. Uh, they they've given up because they forgot that their friends are there. They forgot that there are other people there to have worthwhile lives with. Maybe you could get that out of that, but it wasn't as direct as it could have been. Which, yeah. I'm gonna just make some shit up, like right, right like right now, because um, <laughs> at this point in the story, I was already like, oh, we're just gonna need to find an excuse for all of them to die, and they're gonna mm-hmm. get like a cool little monologue, and they just have to be paced at a certain number in a certain way, and this is just how we're doing it. Like we just, this is Ariane is getting thrown in there just because, and I did not think deeply about it at the time. I did not read too deeply into it at the time. I just accepted this is what's happening. This is the plot structure. Um, and as you're talking about it like that, I am going to weave a bullshit narrative out of my mm-hmm. head right now that right. part of what's going on is that like the search for knowledge is often a very lonely search mm-hmm. and that Uriange and Ishtola have both become very smart, capable people, but also in a vacuum in a way that, you know, Yashola grew up in a a cave with a grouchy old woman. She's not good at connecting to people. We see it all of the time. Every interaction Yashola has, she's heavily scripted. She's repressing emotions. She's putting forward this concise stoic front for everyone and just relying on kind of calculated expressions. And if you watch her throughout the game, that starts to crack a little bit. Like she gets so much more sassy and so much more confident and starts using deadpan humor and manipulating people in different ways. And I think she just grows so much as a person, especially when she allows herself to kind of have that connection on the first with her friends. Mm -hmm. So I think what we're seeing here is that Oriange and Yashola have both realized that part of the meaning of life is camaraderie and friendship and working together and being together and making the most of the time that you have together. So to let Yeshola walk on alone can't happen. That there that mm. counteracting of what the Aya found, it requires that friendship and camaraderie. That if you make meaning of life together as friends, then you are creating what they lacked. And I'm just going to pretend that's true now. See, I, I, I thought the same because they are collective and there's two of them, right? I thought that this was saying that our collective intelligence came to this answer. You know what I mean? It was, he's supporting her, but it's because it's two of the greatest thinkers of our time in a collective. And this is the different answer that they found. And that's the bullshit that I accepted. I actually, what's so funny to me is that I thought this moment, to me, mm-hmm. worked far less for Ishtola than it did for Uriange. <laughs> it, like, it's, this was one that I think is kind of funky. I, I Like I said earlier, mm-hmm. this one felt a little bit shaky to me. Um, but like you pointed out, Moose, I think the ingredients are here. Like we hear the Aya, you know, they're like, I haven't talked to anyone for. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know how long. And like, they're all very stilted in the way that they speak. Their speech pattern is so interesting to me. I was reading it one way. And then when they actually started voicing, I was like, oh, that's how they interpreted that. Like, it's very interesting because there seems to be a lack of communication and like one-on-one -on -one individual understanding and working together. Um, using the loneliness through knowledge in a sense, um, much like we've also seen the isolation of Charlian previously. And then Oriandre's entire arc, this particular expansion being one about accepting that he has found a way to share himself with others and that, you know, the ties he's had in the past, he doesn't have to keep himself away from others. He doesn't have to pretend to be something that he's not. Um, we see him connecting with people. And so his choice to say like, you know, I could go alone, which we've seen many times him making that choice. Mm -hmm. Like, I alone have to be the lonely island. I have to do this thing. Other people might mess it up. Um, I don't even know how to deal with other people. I don't know if other people want to deal with me. And so for him to make a choice where he chooses in a moment to stand by someone, again, we've seen him do this previously in the expansion. So it felt like this is more in line with his story. Although I think the dialogue he has there could have been a little bit more relevant. And Zen, like you pointed out, I think they could have buffed it out a little bit in like even some of the commentary you might get from him when you're talking to the Aya and stuff like that, right? Because it did feel a little bit like you have to make these intuitive jumps. Like, yeah, this is mm -hmm. probably what they were doing. Um, what you were saying. Oh, oh, no, I was saying with Ishtola, it was a little bit weirder for me because I think there is a really subtle growth with her moose like you said but i was genuinely surprised that this expansion she didn't get like a feature role in it i'm assuming because they're planning on just like keeping her in general for like a lot of things in the future because she is kind of the poster child of the game in many ways <laughs> um but like her eyesight, uh, all of her knowledge mm -hmm. and all of these studies, her connection to Matoya and the Ethereal Sea. Like, there were any number of a thousand moments where I thought we would have some really intense character growth cutscene or even just like see her really actively participating in a lot of things that we just didn't this expansion. Mm -hmm. And so she is still a great character. But to me, I almost felt like her moment there. I hadn't felt like I had seen her really grappling with a lot of discussion of like, what does knowledge mean? Is it absolute? What does, you know, like, does this mean something where like we can judge the present but by what we might guess of the future? Even if they had done something about like how she had almost condemned herself to a shortened life because of her mm -hmm. eyesight and using ether the way that, that she was and yet how she was still like yep. trying to live her life as full as possible and that she believed that they should all be fighting for every moment that they have to live as well, um, especially if they have extended lives. She just didn't come together for me in that sense. It was still a good moment, and she still had themes that I think were relevant to her, but I don't know. It just didn't quite like land as emotionally for me. I I have a terrible theory, and it's very cynical. Okay. I think I think there's just this intersection of that a lot of people refuse to kind of give Yishtola credit for the growth that she's had because she doesn't change her observable behavior very much. That it's, again, very, very, very subtle. And I hear a lot of people say that she's just this robot because they don't have all that kind of 1.0, 2.0 history. They can't read her as well. And then if you combine that with the fact that the other half of the people think she's a Mary Sue who's always special in all of these ways and has, you know, she's a the greatest magician mm -hmm. and now she has, like, super sight and does everything for everyone all the time that I think he's just a little nervous about doing anything that makes her look cool, 
when mm-hmm. it's someone else's job to look cool because people are just gonna be like oh there goes mary sue again right with her terrible character development saving the world and i'm just like i think that they're afraid of triggering those mm-hmm. people well, she has done a lot already she has been the center point of a number of plot points already, and we know that one's coming up. At least one is coming up. She is going to find a way across the void, across the room. Yeah. She's going to do it. It's That's going to be a thing for her. And we have to come back to her freaking eyesight that is killing her slowly. We have mm-hmm. to come back to that. So things are building up for her, and that's probably why they, they didn't touch her as much. At least that's why I think. I can't believe they didn't actually clean up the eye thing yeah. in this as much as they could have, because... Depending on how you interpret that line, like teleporting uses your spiritual either. Mm-hmm. So like that doesn't kill you. Like we teleport all day, every day. And yeah, it makes you weaker for a little bit, but you get it back when you rest. Mm-hmm. So like there's a chance that that's all Matoya ever meant was that like you're using 20% more energy per day and doing all of the same shit you were doing before and one day that's going to catch up with you. One mm-hmm. day you're going to be tired when you need, when it counts. One day you're not going to have the strength you need in the moment. I need you to take care of yourself in like a very worried mother kind of way. Or it could mean it's like that old every time you smoke a cigarette you're taking 2 minutes off your life thing. Mm-hmm. Every time you see with your you see the either that way, you're taking 2 minutes off your life. And the fact they didn't clarify it is weird to me. Like there are so many people who think it's the latter mm-hmm. and it comes up every expansion. Just throw a line in there. It's worth it's yep. worth the time. I'm going to have to look for it cuz I could have sworn there was like a moment where somebody like she or somebody says something in Endwalker about her shortened lifespan. And I like it's I remember it being like a line in passing. <laughs> I have to go back. I don't remember. I have to find it. Yeah. Well, because I was trying, I was on the lookout. And again, I could be misremembering. I don't have anything in front of me. But I remember because I was trying to look through for literally any addressing of this. And I could have sworn there was like a line where she says something about her shortened lifespan. And I was like, that's all we got to talk about it? I, maybe I am totally misremembering. I will look for it. I'll try yeah, to remember go, to see. Because, go um, find it. I am not perfect. I do. I am wrong all the time, and I may have just missed well, that no. shit. I mean, like I said, and it, and it might also have been a, va- a very vague line. Again, because mm-hmm. you're right. Like They haven't actually had like a full thing where they talk about this in any way that seems like it carries massive consequences, you know? So I'm trying to remember. Uh, I'll have to try and look through it, or if anybody if anybody watches or sees any of the playthrough that I've been putting up, it's probably in there. I'll just have yeah. to. I'll just have to see. So um, while Rook, you were talking about, uh, I think Urianje. It's been a bit now, actually. Um, Urianje um, learning to basically be a social person. Uh, I sort of realized the AR are very not social. Uh, which which was basically said. They they say, oh, it's been a long time since I've talked to somebody, but I hated talking to them. They were so mean and so rude, and it's because they don't know how to talk to people. Yeah, they don't they don't understand tact at all, and that's mm-hmm. the kind of person Orianji probably would have been without Moonbrida, mm-hmm. without the friends that he made. So I guess there's a little bit more on the Orianji uh, side of why this is his sticking point as well. Mm-hmm. I really do think that we should move on, though. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Uh, this is actually where Median tells us that the star, each star has something like its own live stream. 
uh, and mm -hmm. that what she is doing is keeping people from returning to that live stream because true salvation is not dying, it's not being born. So she's keeping the universe from re-upping itself. She's keeping mm -hmm. things from being reborn and the universe will die because of this. Uh, then they move on. Oh, very important. Yishola and Uriange give themselves over via the way we were talking about. Uh, and they make like a portal, like mm -hmm. a, a fancy technological portal. And she says that they rekindle the extinguished civilization here. And this is actually the first point where I was like, wait, are they actually getting through to these civilizations, to these people? Because the first one didn't really come across to me like Asinian got through to the dragon. He just got past the emotion. Mm -hmm. So sort of like, uh, what do you guys think? Are they are they getting through to the other people or just sort of canceling out? Well, this is the big question, and I was going to actually pose this, but I'll pose it now to everybody. These entities that we're talking to, do we think these are the withheld souls that she is not allowing to return to the life stream? Do we think that this is like kind of like how the ship exists in two places simultaneously, that she like almost has an echo of of like a like a window into a slice of each of these planets do we think that she has literally brought fragmented parts of the planet and yet we were told that nothing would have manifested in a physical form in this area if Thancred hadn't first created mm -hmm. ground right what do we think these entities are that we are speaking to are they just medion are they because it seems like you can yeah. enact real discussion or change with them or learn things about them in a way that it just doesn't feel like they are just memories to me. Like, why are all the babies trying to survive then and you can <laughs> save them in a fate? I don't you know yeah, what I mean? It's, it's interesting to me. Uh, the only thing that I could think of is if they aren't there in that place physically, like the souls, maybe it's some part of Meteon because we know that was a network. There isn't just one of them maybe they're still on that planet making sure they don't? Uh, you know, they're not born. She didn't move the planet there, right? Because it wasn't there. Nothing was there. So it's like, it's really weird. I, I agree. The only thing that I thought of at, in the moment is like, well, maybe these are just like reflections of that planet through her network because she's now everywhere, basically. I don't know. I mean, because you get all this stuff, like, even later, mm -hmm. we'll get to the Omicron zone. But if you're doing the other quests in this area, it's almost as though you are convincing them to live in a different right. way. <laughs> like, so it's interesting to me because from just a, an, an ideological, or I guess, like, a, a theory, mm -hmm. philosophy kind of standpoint, again, we can take these as absolute abstractions. Um, and yet, I mean, if Medion has been dissolving other planets mm -hmm. in the way she is destroying life on ours, right? Where you get completely consumed yep. and it seems as though your ether does not return to the life stream, right? Um, is she take, she's taking it then, right? To mm. hold in her weird super egg? Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. So there's a lot of questions. I genuinely am curious about this yeah. because I have a million theories, but like no actual answers. I don't even mm -hmm. know if you're supposed to have an answer, but um, I have a yeah. lot of questions. Yeah, <laughs> to me, the, they seem like shades, mm. but they do turn around and after you basically completed mm -hmm. the storyline, they're they're still there. They're still living, and some of them are actually working towards other purposes. So mm -hmm. it, it's like, are they shades? Kind of like the uh, the scions were shades on the first. Like they were they were bits of themselves, and mm. when when they cracked the egg, basically, did they get parts of themselves back? 
I am choosing to see it as like a Schrodinger thing. Like it's all of the above until they tell us which it really sure. is. Sure, <laughs> why not? I have a, like conflicting hints, but I, these are things that I haven't gone through every language and translated all of yet. It's on my list of to-dos. It just wasn't the most exciting one, so I didn't do it mm-hmm. yet. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's on the list, but I mean, there's you've got on one hand, even Yoshida's saying like, you know, this is a different dimension at the end of the universe and, mm-hmm. you know, it's separate from reality as a whole anyway. And then you've got this saying that, oh, everything here is a reflection of Dynamis and it comes forward only because of Dynamis. So are they just like very convincing shades? Mm-hmm. Because you're in, the, like you said, in the quest, you're changing things. We're going to get to it with the Omicrons, but like you're changing their goals. You're giving mm-hmm. them future objectives. And yet, both they themselves and the things they seek to change should be gone and just made of dynamis. So are you just like, I don't know, like not to get too philosophical with it, but when you're dreaming, you're still hearing and seeing and smelling, even though there's no vibrations to trigger Mm -hmm. the perception, you know, you're not really there to smell it. There's nothing making those things, but you're still doing it in the dream. So maybe through dynamis, you're able to, create that in the moment and that it's yeah. real enough for you that it doesn't really practically matter if they're just shades mm-hmm. until they escape that dimension yeah so me, un- unless okay. square enix has them leave that place and actually succeed in their mission of like resurrecting other stars mm-hmm. outside of that dimension i don't think it'll practically matter too much for us yeah i just thought of them as dynamis offshoots of the life stream being nearby and the most rancorous or despair-ridden people are being shown there and just going through the end of their lives kind of like an Amarat situation. But unlike there, they're actually living and you can change it. I don't know. It's the only thing I can think of. That living out of Dynamis, I guess. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see what they say. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, I really do think you could make a million arguments for a ton of different things with this yep. zone. And I have seen so many people, I think, really debating it and trying to figure mm-hmm. out what they think it is and whether they think it's literal or not and all this stuff. I mean, either way, uh, Moose, like you said earlier, it's the journey, right? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the like, although we like to have set solid answers, it's not always necessarily that. It's kind of the journey. So. Um, yeah, I mean, some of these people, some of these groups are very frustrating. They represent very specific things like the AIA. Um, and then when we start moving on to uh, what we have next and the couple others, I mean, there's there's even more in that, including some of the things that, like you said, almost seem to be speaking to the future of mm. other things, especially because with 6.1, hold on, I'm trying to remember, wasn't there a mention that the um there's gonna be like a new side quest that has something mm-hmm. to do with omega is yep. that what i'm thinking of to help tie it all together yeah yep. yes so it's like again i wouldn't be surprised if we see something there mm-hmm. if they actually want to again tie omega's journey into realizing that life might be more than combat and survival um and you know always having the bigger club mm-hmm. right um, which is what the next zone's about Take us away, then. All right. Let's see. All right. So they flounder for a bit because there's a bunch of robot people and they're like, nobody looks sad here. What are we doing? Who do we look for? Eventually, they sort of find a, a, a unit that's acting strange named M-017. Uh, and it reveals that it's part of the main brain, the intelligence, the shared intelligence, uh, Stigma 1. 
Uh, its job is to determine the best course of action for the Omicrons, but it can't come to a course of action because they have actually defeated everybody in the universe who is stronger than them, which was their purpose. Uh, they were at one point flesh and blood feeble people, it admits, but um, because they had been subjected to hardships uh, by other stronger people, they started to change their bodies. They, they augmented themselves with metal uh, to the point that they became robots and were eventually able to suffuse their brains into data and then their brains became useless and they became robots and that's where the Omicrons came from. Um, and their purpose, uh, as I mentioned, was to protect themselves. They were weak. They wanted to not get beaten up anymore, so they took it upon themselves to go and beat up everybody who could possibly beat them up first. And that's how they decided to protect themselves. Um, but once they defeated everybody, they didn't have a purpose anymore. So, um, having realized that there was nowhere to go from there, they decided, they, the uh, M017 started to wonder uh, if they'd chosen the correct purpose to begin with. Uh, realized that they'd probably been destroying people for no reason. Which is a big step, to be honest, but mm -hmm. also creates despair. Yeah. This is where... Uh, our, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, you know, some of these, you can think about them as, like, the end of, like, let's say the ancients, Yoshi P said something about mm -hmm. in Dead Ends, that civilization being something like them. Do we think that the Garleans would have ended up here? Absolutely. Right? <laughs> that was that it's, was my thought at the time. Their technology were going that way in the first place. It's just an interesting yeah, thought I exercise. Think, yeah, something like this, right? I mm -hmm. think the big difference with Garlemald was that they weren't just um, conquerors and obliterators. Uh, well, they mm -hmm. weren't just, like, obliterators. They were also imperialists and conquerors, yeah. right? So I feel like we would have almost seen um, <laughs> something more like the um, alternate reality uh, mm -hmm. human human civilization from Star Trek, where <laughs> you've got like the human empire that has like subjugated yep. all the rest of the That's universe. That's exactly what I was thinking of too. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so this is where Some our Warhammer good boy... 40k. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is where our good boy Graha steps in, and he just basically says, hey, why don't you find a new purpose? Um, and because that's what he did. He served many different purposes. He was even part of a tower. And there are two of him in his brain right now. He's been many different things. He understands like, switching bodies. He understands what they've been through uh, and says, even if you don't feel like you can move on, you can. I did. And he tells he basically tells them story of that. And that's uh, how he combats their despair in not having a purpose. I like this too, because they've been reminding us of this and I'm curious to see if we are gonna really go to some place like Corvus or in mm -hmm. some way, shape or form, right? I don't really know if I'm totally convinced we will yet, but um, I hadn't even thought of this in the moment with Graha, but Graha also carries like the last legacy, I suppose you could say of ancient Alig, which also very similar to Garlemald because much of um, mm -hmm. Garlemald sort of based itself off of that. And the idea that, you know, um, this royal blood that he carried that defined so much of his life initially and his research and um, what would lead him to the tower and all these different things was really like the legacy of a terrible empire of war and destruction and uh, conquerors and all these sorts of things, technology as well with the sort of robot tie in. Um, and yet, like those who survived and those who carried on that lineage 
changed what that meant. Graha changes what that means by repurposing, you know, even the Crystal Tower to help, to save, to heal, to be a refuge, um, to be the ideal that it supposedly was touted to be when it was first made, but for all peoples, not just Allegans. So, like, he is such a great mouthpiece for this. And he has, like, right. some old lines about loss and, and things like that in, in this particular exchange that also made me cry like a baby. So mm-hmm. <laughs> he said uh, the quote that I wrote down is he asks himself uh, every time he goes through one of these changes, what is it that makes me me? And yes. he tells them, I don't know, but that's that's OK. It's OK not to know. Everybody doesn't know. You don't know. But it's OK. Find another purpose. No, it's, it's just one of those those little things that harkens back to there are so many un- unanswered questions we answer mm-hmm. together and if we don't mm-hmm. know it's okay because we don't know together uh, i thought that his was the best of all of all of the the interactions yeah. between the dead civilizations yeah. and the science i thought his was the best i agree and also because the lyrics kick in after that and yeah. we can all agree that this song is just it's 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 weaponized already. If you hear it anywhere, you're going to cry. Oh, it gets me so good. I mean, <laughs> I want to take a second because actually this is perfect. This is perfect timing because mm-hmm. um, the way they build this zone is so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really starts to, I think, reach its peak in this area right. with the Omicron. Because I remember as I was going through and I started, it started to click that I was like, the music is, oh my gosh, they are adding a different line to the, the, you know, orchestral arrangement every single time somebody sacrifices themselves. And then I was a mess. And then I started looking (laughs) at the quest names and how even the like names of the quests began to like error out and like Mm -hmm. lose coherency until they are all just these abstract symbols. And like the way that they played with Again, almost breaking down the laws of the world as we know them mm-hmm. in a zone uh, and reflecting that even in components of like the UI and all sorts of other stuff, uh, I thought was just so well done. It felt like I was getting disoriented myself. I wasn't sure of time and space. I wasn't sure of reality. Um, and in a way, like, again, I think that it almost allows you, if you let it, to lead you more into that kind of metaphorical, emotional, mm-hmm. abstract sort of realm because everything is just kind of weird. And then you get those, like, the actual lyrics and the mm-hmm. anchoring of that message in this zone. And it, like, I just sat there listening to it and, like, crying for a good while. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I just still am so blown away by um, how they, like, used everything at their disposal to build the narrative and convey mm-hmm. that emotion to you, especially in a zone that is all about emotion. It's mm-hmm. so cool. All right. Um, where are we? Cafe. Cafe at the end of the universe. Uh, this last world that we get to, after we climb a crystal path, of course the boy leaves us a crystal path. Mm-hmm. There was one more thing. Oh my gosh, I'm oh, so yeah. sorry. I was doing oh, yeah. the quest names really fast. Um, the actual last step of that quest as well, before Graha sacrifices himself, is called Hello World, mm-hmm. which is um, actually one of the mechanics from the MF fight. And is also... That's now, true. I'm, I am reciting mm-hmm. this off of what my partner told me, who I'm is ready. a programmer. You, Aldino, you take it away. You're a programmer. <laughs> no. 
You tell us, tell us what hello world means within the context of sure. programming. Sure, it's usually your first program. It's usually the first thing you do in a new language to kind of test it out. You learn how to print hello world. It's, to, it's a long-standing programmer meme. Um, but yeah, it's kind of those first steps into a new language, into a new way of thinking. It's, it, yeah, it hit oh. me too when I saw that. Oh, I just had to mention because yeah. I thought that was such an incredible detail. And again, solidifying some of that stuff, if we do get more of this Omega mm -hmm. quest, oh, I man. think that's like a clear tie. I, I don't, I'm, I was really surprised to see that in the 6.1 notes oh. and when they were talking about it in the live letter. So I really hope it delves into like the, the ideas of programming, which is just logic, nonsense, but iteration and, and finding the best way, you know, like this is anyway, I won't go into it. Uh, I won't start with uh. TED talk. I mean, I you would love me. to listen to your TED talk. Mm. <laughs> you got me. Save it. Save it. Okay. Yeah. Save it for next time, because mm -hmm. we're not going to finish this time, folks. Oh, no. Uh, it's all our fault, too. Yeah. Ah, the point The point is to talk about the things, and that's what we're doing, <sighs> so it's fine. It's true. Moose, you don't have to be held hostage by this. You don't have to. Like, we love talking to you, and like as we've said before, we'll find an excuse to just draw it out uh, to have you on more casts, but, you know, we'll figure it out moving forward. <laughs> I, I just sit around waiting until the podcast room gets that little like boop notification mm -hmm. and it's like, hey, are you free this Saturday? And it's just like, let me check my schedule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. I mean, we could push to the end, but it probably another hour and I don't think we want to do that. <laughs> Yeah, probably not. I need to make some din-din. I got some yeah. stuff to do. I got to reset and like recoup my emotional meters so that I can cry even more next episode about this expansion. Mm. So... <laughs> Get ready right. for the Xenos fight. Hey, if we're if we're cutting off, where are we doing it? Like, what is what is left that we want to talk about lore cast wise, and where is the logical stopping point? I was mm -hmm. gonna cut us off at the dead ends. All right. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So we reach this cafe at the end of the universe type dealio. Uh, there's nobody there except for Median. Um, and she tells you as much. She says, there's nobody here, so there's no emotion for you to come back. You will not move forward. Neener, neener, neener. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you look around and realize as much. Um, until you're doing a little bit of talking and Alphano realizes that there is someone there. It's Medion. And uh, the emotion that's holding you back is her fear of going on after having seen all the devastation in the universe. So, basically... <laughs> Alize, we ha we have to take a moment to talk about Alize's reaction to mm -hmm. uh, Alphado proposing that the two of you leave, the two of them leave you alone. She is not happy. She's very mad. Mm -hmm. and she she says this earlier on in the story as well. She's like, you always get screwed. You always get left alone. You always have to take care of everything by yourself, and it's not fair. And she is just insulted that Alphado would suggest it again. I want to throw out there while we're talking about that, that like this is Ishikawa coming through. Mm. Um, this is core Ishikawa experience of the warrior of light. Um, and if you follow the dark Knight quests in multiple languages, because they're kind of tailored to the uh, each dark Knight quest is kind of tailored to the language, um, the feedback and the discussion of the warrior of light in that language. And you'll find that like the North American and Japanese Dark Knight quests don't have a lot in common. So if you look at the Japanese Dark Knight quests, this is core Ishikawa thinking because she wrote those too. 
And like her perception of the warrior of light is someone who gives up everything so that other people don't have to lose things and that they're keeping it together despite going through the most of what they're trying to save other people from and that there's a certain unfairness to that a certain tragedy to that that this person who wants to save others is the one who loses the most um and alize i think witnesses that in the warrior of light on ishikawa's behalf here mm-hmm yeah. The Warrior of Light is a Sin Eater in the actual term sense. Someone who, who it used to be a ritual to eat a meal to consume the sins of other people to go through that. It's literally, it, it's so good. I This made me think about Alice in a very different light. I, okay, one, I love her and I'd die for her. Um, but there's always been that sense of her, what she would almost consider like rivalry with you, you know, where she wants to, you know, she wants to do more than you and she wants to be better than you and she wants to be just as mm-hmm. good as you, if not more so. And like that you kind of get this sense that, you know, yes, she wants to sort of compete against you because you, I mean, gosh, I hate to say it because she does not deserve to be compared to it, but like in a healthy version of what Xenos could be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, exactly. Healthy you know, version. Like she wants you to be a motivator. She can see like what the mm-hmm. heights of, of heroicness happens to be and you know wants to try and measure up to that possibly also depending on how you want to read it with some of the stuff in this expansion about how she may have felt as though she wasn't maybe appreciated as much as her brother in certain regards especially coming from Mm -hmm. an academic society and that she's always felt like she had something to prove right this moment though ripped my heart out and then Mm. spit on it and then threw it off the edge of ultima thule because it made me completely reevaluate that in that Maybe she, having been alone in some sense, you know, she has a twin, but they haven't always seen eye to eye. She hasn't always fit exactly what her society would have molded her to be. She's been finding herself, but maybe she also sees that you have such a burden on you and that if she can do anything to be just as strong to try to help, if she can do anything to be just as strong, if she can like take your weight on when no one else will, when you're taking on the weight of everyone else in the world. And I was just like, my little baby, (laughs) my baby child, please God don't sacrifice yourself, but I know you have to, but also I'm proud of you, but please don't, I wish I could do it instead of you. I mean, it just was like, Mm -hmm. So many things hit me at once at this moment. I'm sure everybody will interpret it in different ways. Mm-hmm. But oh my gosh, she is a gift and a beautiful, beautiful right. person that needs to be protected. I don't think she wanted to take the what she sees as the easy way out. That's the easy way out to leave you to do it. It's like I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I can do it. You know. Uh, when she grabs Alfino's hand and like drags him off, she's like, "All right, well, it's decided. Let's go." Well, then let's just and do it. She does not look back, and you just know she's sobbing, trying to get her shit together while running away before you can catch up and see that she's sobbing like a little bit baby. Mm-hmm. So, so wholesome. I love her. Better twin. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> um, wow. but yes, they walk right up on to Meteon and they're like, hey, yeah, you're right. We didn't find anybody except you're here and we know what to do now. And Meteon's like, nah, that's not going to work. But it does. It does. They both offer her a hand. They're like, come on, it's time to go. And the, the words that they say, what are they? We rise, fall, and rise again. They're, they're little phoenixes. They too are little phoenixes. Ugh. Chats with me on this one. They also think that they're little phoenixes. Credits <laughs> in the chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely is intentional. Somebody also pointed out Ukab music starts playing there as well. Mm-hmm. Which is really where we start to see, like, 
the the starting point of the growth with the twins, right? Mm -hmm. um, and core game. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like it's obviously a full circle moment for them, and they keep picking themselves up. Alice, Alphino, both of them have had these constant story beats where they have had to recover from things that they've done, mistakes, um, you know, things that they wish they could have done better. I mean, that's just a part of growing up, mm -hmm. right? But like. We forget that for our whole lives, we are always going to be stumbling and we are always going to be picking ourselves up. And that's okay. It is a cycle. Um, that's why things like the Phoenix have become so iconic in many places, although it has many different meanings. Um, but this idea that, you know, everything is again like a cycle of rebirth or we keep going on or we keep starting again. Um, is It's just so great with these two. It was interesting to me that um, she is so, sort of like the darkness here, uh, Meteon. But the twins make a bridge of light, and the light is supposed to be the, what, the thing that doesn't move, yet they use the light to help you move forward. Mm. So Square Enix just doing that flip-flop once again. It's kind of, uh, I didn't even think about like the connections with Medion there, I guess, and the reason they might be the ones that in that moment, um, you know, in this lonely place, um, I mean, they have had each other, but they've had to, again, face things about themselves. And Medion's fear of, like, confronting those things that are dark about the world, um, you see, like I, like I was just saying, you see the two of them both deal with those same things. So it, it feels very fitting that they've had to face some of the most despair. They've had to even strike down those they loved dearly. They've mm -hmm. had to lose them to great tragedy. They've had to experience a lot of different things. Um, and they themselves are young and new to this world, all things considered much like Medion. And yet they found, like in contrast to her, a way to not succumb to that fear with the help of others and of each other. So they kind of almost bring her into the fold with them, which is yeah. a nice touch. And Alice really knows how to use Dynamis because she uses the limit break so often. Ha! <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes. No, but you're right. They are they are the perfect foil here because they've had so many stumbles, and mm -hmm. rather than run away from it like she did, they they're like, nope, we're moving on. Here is the actual physical bridge for you to move on, and then you have yet another sad walk, like a walk of many many tears, mm -hmm. where you see oh, so many friends. This right. walk got me. It got mm -hmm. me. Here's the thing. The whole zone, I had been kind of like, eh, they're going to be fine and they're all going to come back. Mm -hmm. And then I started this walk and then the voice thing started happening and all the moments that I was like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. why can you play me like a fiddle Final Fantasy fourteen? Mm -hmm. Why are you doing this to me? Um, I actually did find that moment to be really impactful. Uh, I wasn't expecting to. I was maybe even a little bit braced against it, mm -hmm. but I did still... I guess, feel the loss of all of them, that loneliness in a way that was really distinctive in the zone. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was interesting because the other place that they've sort of made us walk, or crawl even, um, was in Garlemald's. And mm -hmm. there they, they use the buildup of everything to really make you feel hopeless. Whereas here, it's, it's very much the opposite, I think. Things are things are dire still, but you still have a hope. You're you're making it to where you think you ought to be, and you have all these friends with you to do something. Whereas in the other place, you are alone. You are crawling. You're mm -hmm. not even yourself. Yeah. But yes, it's, it, it's very, it's mm -hmm. very literally, um, almost like Vinat's walk, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. As she has to walk through the ages and bear that burden alone. As answers plays in the distance once again, shredding my heart for the hundredth time in this game. Hush. Um, 
I mean, it is very similar to that, right? The mm -hmm. the lonely walk, uh, because we walk together, but I mean, each and every one of us walks alone. And we have to face a lot of things in a way that like no other person will ever really know. You know what I mean? No matter how we share with them. And it's so worth it to share with them. We are so much better and stronger for being together. Um, we don't have to be fully alone in that moment, but there are there there is a sense that like there will always be parts of ourselves that we traverse alone and that we are bolstered by those who have helped us. Um I can't remember, was Ardbert's line at the start the if you had to, could you take another step? Wasn't mm. it? I don't, I don't remember. remember. I think so. That's that my part favorite isn't one. something yeah. that you can rewatch easily. Yeah. I know, I know. Shade says no in chat. Okay, never mm. mind. All right. All right. It's okay. They still got me with it, but that line okay. from Ardbert to this day still wrecks oh, me yeah. thinking about it. <laughs> All right. So at the top of this uh, the stairway, when you finally walk there, heart shattered on the floor, uh, Bideon says, haha, you made it here, but you can't actually make it up to the unborn egg thing that I've made from all of the souls of the universe that I screwed over. Haha, -ha. because hope cannot deliver you unto hopelessness. And you say, that's bullshit, and you summon him, and so can I it. <laughs> well, I know some people who are hopeless. Ah. <laughs> uh. There's some unfairly hot and hopeless people, mm -hmm. and it's these two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hot and hopeless uh, in your area. I <laughs> sounds terrible. These, <laughs> I love that these two come back here. I love that you use Heidelin's power to bring them back. I love mm -hmm. everything about this moment. We even had a big analysis about the um, symbolism of the Elpis flower here in a, in mm -hmm. a previous mm -hmm. one of these lore casts, mm -hmm. which I would like just tell people go back and watch. I think it might have even been the, one of the first ones that we did when we were talking about Charlian so, yeah. and the first time you find the flowers. Um, so there's a lot of symbolism here as far as how those are used as uh, an image of hope. Um, I am still salty that those two attractive dinguses were like, oh, you spent all that magic power that can do creation to bring us back, but we're just gonna peace out, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad. But in this moment, it also feels like it's such a perfect culmination of things um, because I think that those two have been on their own journey in many ways mm -hmm. uh, of hope of their own people in the past, the hope they place in you for a future you can see that they can't or, you know, wouldn't have been able to for whatever reason. And then obviously, like those people that walk with you who will continue to forge that future. It's like, this is a great moment. And also, I just wanted to see their stupid faces again. So <laughs> I was really happy. <laughs> um, we do, as, as we get up there, um, we do get little little tidbits of what our Scion friends said to us as we were mm -hmm. making our way here. Um, and they loud and clear make you remember, Yisola said, you can summon us back, but don't. Mm -hmm. So that probably inspires you to summon some different friends. And that's where these guys come from. Um, at which point they say, hey, we, we know how to use creation magic. And it's, it's technically better than yours. Um, and we will make a way forward for you. Just tell us what it is. Think of it and we'll make it. And that's when you think of the field of Elvis flowers. Uh, 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 me making random noses while I figure out where this is. There's so many good things with that moment. Yeah. I mean, even because like, you know, um, part of what we talked about previously is the fact that Elpis itself, the word, refers to the um, a daemon, 
the demon from Greek mythology that represented hope that was let out during uh, Pandora's mm -hmm. box. Well, that remained in the jar when everybody yeah. else was let out uh, from Pandora's box slash the vessel that was Pandora's. It actually, I think, traditionally was more of like a sort of jar, as you would yeah. think of it, versus the box that later it sort of became through retellings. Um, and that hope either remained as a comfort to mankind or as a, a sort of like, I don't know, um, miserable thing that hope mm -hmm. was the only thing that didn't escape into the world uh, it has this duality to it depending on the era the age um but even with like median herself right these like little tidbits you get or about her in the flower and how she you know is so connected to it emotionally about i believe there's some line at some point even where hermes had, like promised to bring her a flower mm -hmm. um and she came all back these Yes, like all these little tidbits. And so when you're thinking about like, how do you create hope out of hopelessness? And you think about like, what would embody hope to Medion? And you are the one who summons it is like, I love that. It's a great touch. And there's so many um, really beautiful things here. Even if like, originally, I was kind of confused as to why we had we didn't have the flower with us the whole time. You know what I mean? But as we sort of discussed previously, the idea that even like you think you've lost hope because the flower is gone. And then, lo and behold, it turns out that hope can spontaneously arise, that hope is something we summon ourselves with the power of our own hearts. I was like, mm -hmm. all right. I, they, even, they even suggest uh, when you summon the flowers, like, obviously she's, she feels the, those words, she hears those words from Hermes, but they also suggest that with this field of flowers here, glowing as brightly as it does, there was always hope here. She, she tells you that, it, this place was despair only. Probably not. These flowers are showing you something else. And she's forced to change her mind. And this particular median does change her mind. That's where we get the singular blue one from later, theoretically. Can we just talk about that really quick? The freaking bluebird of happiness. Straight up and down. That is what this one little bluebird is. The harbinger of happiness, if you will. I don't think we've talked about that at all so far. But they were very on the nose with that, too. Here's a question. We'll talk about this more probably later as well, too. Do you believe that Medion is the bird? And that the bird, as it exists, indicates that Medion continues ah. to persist? We can talk about it later, too. Yeah. But do, like here, because we do see this, um, I've heard a lot of discussion. When I first went through this, I thought that the bird was more of just like a general kind of like that it was median in the sense that she was moving back and forth. We see the birds actually like disseminate, you know, mm -hmm. up and spread out to actually go visit where they're supposed to visit. Um, but I, I honestly thought throughout all of this that median vanished at the end, whereas I know many other people who um, have really strongly identified the birds as like actually being them. Um, which we kind of start to see here. I saw I saw the birds as them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Schrodinger. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. Um, yeah. I think there. I think a lot of things at this point in the game are Schrodinger. Um, but I think what I took away from it was that it was dynamis, that it was the emotion causing physical manifestations again, and that this is how it was going to manifest for us. That story conclusion wise. Medion was gone, but Dynamis being what Dynamis is, that symbolism was still there in the bird. That sentiment of hers mm -hmm. carries on. That re that restoration of hope carries on. That 
that desire that she had at the end to want to make amends and to go back on those thoughts manifested as that bird and that that's what we were going to be seeing. But I think it's Schrodinger'd right now because Square Enix hasn't said otherwise. And I don't know if that's because they left open that door for mm. all of those people who are just like, it's Medion, she's still alive, she still lives, and all those role mm -hmm. players who are going to be like, she's with me forever, <laughs> this is her, we're going forward to our new adventure now. Mm -hmm. And I think until Square Enix says otherwise that we're just forced <laughs> to keep it in that Schrodinger zone of which is it going to be? Right. Because no one's asked them at a Q&A yet. Add that right. to our list of things yep. to ask at the next Q&A. <laughs> I mean, I, if they if they were forced to, they might admit it. I mean, like, mm -hmm. look, at the, look at the short story that acknowledged that Omega really is in there in omg mm -hmm. like yes yes so if you backed them into a corner they, they might so um that done emmett sucks like hey you did what you needed to do you can you can use your little thingy to call you back your friends now good job good job do it so you do of course obviously they're like phew that worked good great and then mm -hmm. uh you have an option i forget what the two options were but one is Oh, it was, it's over and um, come with us. And you, you can say either one of these mm -hmm. to Medion. Um, I assume they both do approximately the same thing. I picked come with us. And she sort of squeaks and holds herself and the egg above you cracks. And that's when the, the stuff, the souls, I guess, start to drip back out. The cosmic mm -hmm. goo juice goo. begins <laughs> to come on out. Goo souls. Yep. Uh, she also starts sort of starts to do the like waver dynamis thing as if she's going to become overwhelmed with despair and mm -hmm. disappears into the goo after begging you to silence the song of oblivion. So she is the one sister who's started to get back her, I guess, childlike nature rather than this mm -hmm. horrible, jaded, meaty face. Yeah. Um, at this point, Emmett and uh, Hythodius get their little, their cute little, all right, well, we helped you out like we kind of said we would. I think actually when they first show up is when Emmett's like, ah, so I told you to remember and I forgot everything. What a dumbass <laughs> I am. Yeah. Um, and Emmett gives you a little bit more hope too. Uh, when you're kind of bummed, he's not going to come back. He's like, you have so much to do. You don't even need me. And he talks about all the places we can go. And I wrote them down. I don't know if we want to go over them because we're so close to being finished. But one of them is Maricidia. And then a mm -hmm. bunch of them seem to be places that we will probably get within this expansion. Will it be all of them? Who knows? Probably mm -hmm. not since Maricidia is one of them. But I just I, I couldn't help see this, but it's just like the recurrence of a meme. Um <laughs> Back in the Stormblood era, we're talking between 4.0 and 4.1 is when Yoshida first started making comments that he had an anxiety that what was going to happen was he was going to end the Hydaelyn and Zodiac story and everyone was going to go, that's it. Final Fantasy 14 is over. 
that anything after that is bonus stuff. It's extra stuff. The real story's over. This is just the icing on the cake now. It's You can move on. Nothing big is going to happen again. And that he was really trying to figure out how to challenge this anxiety to the point where we might go fight other stuff before even coming back and doing Heidelin and Zodiac. And that he kind of was very ambivalent about the pacing there. So there... Everything in Endwalker seems to connect like out of world and in world from the stuff Yoshi P says about it to the stuff in the quest. It just feels like Yoshida saying over and over and over again, this isn't the end. This isn't Mm -hmm. the end. This isn't the end. There's so much more. There's so much more. And I felt like this scene was Yoshida saying that to the room and going, how do we convince everyone to believe that there's so much more that this world has to Mm -hmm. offer? And someone went, Make Emmett Selk say it. And everyone went, genius, genius. They'll listen, they'll listen to Emmett Selk. They'll listen so to him. That's, that's what I figured that this was. Like, even even the like the 6.1 title, it just all comes back to, like, we just need to help Yoshida feel comfortable that we understand it's not over. Mm-hmm. Oh, little man. I think you can't get rid as, of us now. As you many times say, I think it is a lot of different things. And that's mm-hmm. definitely one thing that I think is in this. I think the other part that I found to be pretty interesting is that Emmett Salk is a character, right? We know that he said in the past he has tried to, like, you know, supposedly tried to let himself love this world and, you mm-hmm. know, interact with its people. And then you get this moment where he says he's listing all these places. And the way he lists them is so, like, evocative. You know, like, the ruins beneath the waters of the bounty, treasure islands, and all these different things. Which, mm-hmm. one, sells it to you as, again, as you said, a continuation that is coming. And or could be explored, right? The fabled golden cities of the new world. Like, it gets Good your marketing. imagination. It mm-hmm. is, exactly. Like, it gets you going. But I also really loved this moment because as far as his character goes, you know, he says... Uh, something along the lines of how uh, he was inspired by his friend and that like the traveler is um, this like influence in his life made him actually try to go find these things. And he clearly did find them, right? Like he mm-hmm. clearly discovered that there were incredible things to be seen. It was just that he himself couldn't rec- like reconcile acknowledging their worth um, mm-hmm. in face of what he had lost. Um, but it was such a fun moment for him to actually see that recognition of like what impact, what relationship he might have had with Azem in the past. And of course, everybody will probably headcanon their own thing on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But like this idea here that like he at least tried for you in a way that um, maybe was one of the only places where one of the only influences that dared to challenge his will, you know, mm-hmm. and dared to challenge the mindset that he himself thought he had to have even if ultimately he chose to still stick to that right you know he has a misspent youth with azem right they have been friends for a long time they have done stupid things this is what has been said in open yeah uh, to see that some of that stayed around even as arguably definitely tempered has definitely forgotten a lot of things but there's still a part of him that was touched by azem's wanderlust and he knows that this is what will keep you going. He knows to say it right now to you at this moment. Like, no, you don't need me. Look how much stuff you got to do. Go finish this. How on brand is it for both Yoshida and Emmett Selk to just kind of like rib you and go, hey, aren't you truly the successor of a Zem? Mm-hmm. And if you were, what would a Zem do? 
every step you take, every journey you go on, every place you explore does honor to me. And I'm just like, oh, that's like so on brand for both of them. Damn yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Sneaks. Big sneaks. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's the next, the next bullet point, so I'm just going to read it anyway, but it was some conversation about this part that he talked about. As the bearer of Azim's crystal, you may consider it your duty to see at least that much. I certainly did. And yeah, you know, people in different ways. But yeah, I just, I saw it as he gave it to you. That was him going, you live up to what this says. That is your duty. We know that he wanted that yeah. in the first place back in Shadowbringers. Mm -hmm. He was hoping that we would remember and join him. Hmm. That's not what came to pass, but I guess he's mm -hmm. decided that what came to pass is good enough. Time mm. to go die and be reborn and not care about my own <laughs> self anymore. <laughs> and that Selk says, stay subbed. Yeah. <laughs> it's your duty. Yep. That does bring us to the dead ends. So unless we mm -hmm. have anything else we want to speak about from what we've talked about so far, we can wrap this up. Okay. No, I mean, we covered a lot, so... It's gonna save my passion for next time. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Let me throw up this thingamabubba. Um, I am Zanidra underscore A on Twitter. I'm Strawberry Bop on Twitch, and I am plus one shot on YouTube. Uh, Charles? Who are you? What was... Did you talk to me? I couldn't hear you. Everything yes, stopped. Yes. From oh, hi. It's, Hello. It's your turn. It's your turn. Where can people find you? Oh, that's very easy. Here and only here. That's it. Nowhere else. Uh, Twitter as Al, do you know? OnlyFans still coming. Like I said, I'm that's going to make that. Enough. I believe you. Do I believe you? I don't know. I don't know if you should. <laughs> okay. Rook? Please make the OnlyFans or only knees <laughs> yes. or only anything. Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Rook. You can find me at Rookery. Uh, Twitch, YouTube, here, Twitter, uh, except on Twitter, it is R-O-O-K-U-R-I underscore, uh, everybody else, uh, everywhere else, it is just R-O-O-K-U-R-I, uh, I create content for a couple different MMOs, but 14 and Guild Wars 2 are my main ones, um, we do a lot of stuff from lore talk to even RP talk to end game talk to everything, um, but we're all about creating spaces we want to see online in games, and, uh, we work towards that goal, good positive spaces with, uh, good diversity and good talks. And Demus? Oh, geez, who am I? Oh, I'm still trying to work that out myself. Uh, <laughs> at Anonymous XIV on Twitter. Uh, Onwell, A-N-W-Y-L-L -L on Twitch. And real life has really just been been really awful, like in terms of keeping me busy for the past few months. So things are going pretty slow on that front. And I'm still trying to like reclaim that time for myself. But if at any point you have questions you want to ask or just want to chat, you can pop into Gamer Escapes Discord, pretty much any Discord with a lore room. There's a personal Discord attached to my Twitch page. You can drop in anywhere, DM me on Discord. I will get back to those in whatever time I can. I love chatting with people about lore and will always try to do my best to do that even when I'm busy with the rest. All right. And of course, you can reach us all at Aetherite Radio at gamerscape.com. And our Twitter is Aetherite Radio. Who to thunk? Additionally, you may know that we work for websites called Gamerscape. You can contact us there on Twitter, uh, Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook. 
all at Gamerscape. Go figure. And we have a Discord, discord.gg slash Gamerscape, where we have the aforementioned lore channel. If you want to talk to us about stuff that we talked about today, or perhaps the stuff that we'll talk about at our eventual next episode that's going to happen. When? I am not sure. But we will. We will get there. It'll Possibly give us more time before to... 6.1. <laughs> It'll give us more time to talk about Pandemonium. I, I was worried about yes. that we'd just kind of gloss over it. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll put that in. And I think that'll round out a lot of things as we look forward yeah. to 6.1. So, All right. That is it for us for today. So thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. We'll see you next time.